Education, okay, so, so you mean basically the disconnect between what you do learn in universities with yes. what, uh, with what you work with stuff in reality? Work on reality. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So and who is responsible for, for making sure that the alignment is as smooth as possible for people to actually be able to start working directly? Yes. Okay, so writing down, uh, you basically said the, okay, the, the connection between science and engineering. We spoke about AI engineering workshops and, yeah. and disconnect between education and, and work life. So exactly. But going back a bit to the PDF, I, I think, you know, since I actually did a lot of work with this in my PhD as well for 15, 20 ish years ago, and uh, trying to, to see, you know, how, how we really can take information that is written in like unstructured or semi structured way, like semi structured would be web pages or documents or PDF documents. Yeah. But then for machines that are rather stupid still and to try to understand it, they need to have it in a more structured fashion. And, and I, I heard you, you don't really like PDFs. No, I don't really do it. I mean, the, the things we see in, in research and, and in certain applications is that we have great models, great language models, uh, <clears throat> and they work um, given the premise that you have clean text. So and then step back. Clean text would be like a Wikipedia article. Or yeah, what, or something or that you can mean? extract coherent or not coherent, but you have like like the orthography or the typography of, of the the pages is is there. You have the paragraphs, you have the the um, perhaps the headings and stuff. There's no you know bro broken up words, there's no repeated headers and footers and footnotes and and, and pictures and, and tables and such. And then if you have uh, language models that are supposed to work with real life PDF data. Uh, then you, you, have, you have to step back because you introduce a lot of noise. I'm not sure how much noise, but there is noise. And then you have to counter that somewhere. So you will actually uh, degenerate the, the performance of the model just by having dirty text. Let's call it dirty text. Uh, and, and dirty mean basically that we have this kind of semi-structured information about this is a header or this is a table. Yes. Or what do you mean? With oh, well, like, like if, if, you, if you take a PDF and you convert it to text some way, uh, and then you look at the text, then you will see that there are certain artifacts uh, that you cannot easily isolate that this is because of, you know, this particular PDF producer or anything. But uh, typically you have the page numbering or you have like a, a, a sentences split across pages and then you have a sentence and then you have a hyphen, then you have a number of the page and then you have the, hef the header of the next page and then you have the sentence continuing. Mm. And if you have this, this for a hundred times in a, in a document, it will affect yeah. Uh, information that's in there. So, so what do you think the right solution for that is? Is to um, uh, well, get I, away of PDFs? No, uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I don't think we can do that. You said how many billions of PDFs was published uh, last year? I think Adobe uh, claimed that people had opened two and a half billion PDFs in their products only last year or last before that. So perhaps. it won't go away easily. It won't go away. I mean, if you if you look at, if you have a PDF uh, a, a URL, a link pointing to a PDF and you click it in any browser, it will open in the browser. So it's a, it's a ubiquitous format. It will stay. It's an industry standard. These yeah, things, yeah, right? yeah, it's an industry yeah. standard. So it, it's, a, it's a perfect way of rendering things on screen or in print. And it's a good output format, but it's a really bad input format. Have you seen any, I mean, you're an expert in NLP models, um, but... I haven't, uh, at least myself, seen like a, a PDF language model. model but there are actually, uh, I, I haven't delved that deep in that subject, but there are um, document understanding. It's not the old document understanding thing that we used to do back in the 90s or noughties, but, mm. but this, is, this is like you have ways of uh, using um, the page layout uh, as well as the language. Mm. So there are different BERT models for actually taking into account the position on the page where the text is now. I saw something from Google. They they had a table extractor or something. Mm. They could actually do it, understand mm. the different pieces of text depending on the row and the column position yeah, that yeah. they 
they had, but but I haven't really seen something that can take like a generic PDF document and just you know no, no matter where it is, it can still understand. Well, let's just put it this way: there are companies out there doing great financially by doing this manually. I mm. mean, so they uh, I've, I've been speaking to lots of companies because of this, because of the past years, uh, the projects that we've been doing at Rice. Um, one of the companies, I, I guess they charge around you know, multiple tons of, of thousands of pounds for, mm. for a single client doing um, a few thousand PDFs. And they have a, a, an elaborate pipeline of, of cleaning and manual intervention and active learning and everything they need. And this is the, in the financial domain because as far and as I manually extract the information, right? It's not. Or they train. They, 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 they train. Yeah, it's learning based. But they train it, and they, I, they didn't really tell. But they they had me understand that it's active learning based, and they they um, may claim it. I would argue. Yes. Question: <laughs> Is that really true? But okay, <laughs> they were really helpful, by the way, to 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 guide me right about this. But uh, and they they are working in the the financial domain because in the US, uh, I think all the filings to the SEC and so on are actually available in XML format mm. but th this is not the case in Europe so they have uh, for for like calls and such and, and, and uh, conference calls for financial entities in, across Europe they they work with this and, and extract the data and there's uh, this is to say that there's a business of doing this uh, a large business that that's because of the formats yeah yes. but would you say PDFs in what way is that worse than uh, HL documents or Word documents or something else? Um, I'm not really sure if they are worse. Uh, it's just that every client or every person or every stakeholder or peer I've talked to that had claims to have data, it's in PDF. <laughs> so uh, if I go to... Um, so that's your, it's your biggest headache because that's what you encounter the, yes, all the time. Yes, yes. Um, I think this is a great topic to, to speak up uh, later about, I think. And um, we can certainly hear a lot of companies saying, we have so much data. Yes. But then, yeah. oh, that's in PDF format. It's not really <laughs> organized and structured in a proper way. But before we move into that, uh, let me just start by welcoming here, Fredrik Olsson. It's a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, I, I'm uh, very passionate about uh, NLP myself, and, and you are a true expert in this in, in Sweden. And um, yeah, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the theme today. What's mm -hmm. the theme for today? I think NLP and data yes. was mentioned yes. as the core themes. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. I hope so. NLP and data readiness and data, uh, yeah. perhaps other things like science and education yeah. and uh, engineering and yeah. things. Good. Fantastic. Awesome. But with that, perhaps you can start by just giving a quick introduction about your background as well. Uh, how, how do you describe yourself? Uh, yes. Um, a man in his best years, having mm. worked 20-something years professionally in, in uh, software engineering, machine learning and natural language processing. <clears throat> Started out as a computer science student, turned computational linguist uh, in the 90s and did my master's and my licentiate thesis. I'm not sure the English is the English word is for that in, in Uppsala uh, and did my PhD in Gothenburg uh, on active learning, actually, for, for yeah. named entity recognition. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. uh, some 12 or 13 years. that one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's, okay, let's also uncouple that a bit for people that yeah. don't know what active learning or named entity recognition is. But in short, you can say it's some kind of computational linguistic or how, yes. how do you describe the field in general? Yes, uh, everything having to do with transforming or using human language, uh, particularly written language, because, uh, well, uh, let's go back to that later on, but written language text uh, by using computers. 
mm-hmm. essentially. So there are actually there are nuances here as well. I was a language technology student, which is more applied than computational linguistics, which is perhaps more from the linguistic side, where you you have your ideas and theories and you try to assess them or, or discard them by by using computers. And then just to <coughs> if we go with name entity recognition to start with, how, how would you describe that? Uh, well, uh, mentions in text of things and entities in, in the world, for instance, um, Anders Arpteg of Peltarion, mm. there is a reference to you and to the company that you work with. Mm. Uh, so the, the things, the ways that we can express those kinds of links in text uh, are, are you know numerous. And they might use, be useful if you're building like a knowledge graph, for instance, to see how people or Don't companies... There, uh, I, I can <coughs> see you're jumping yeah. into that one, but wait for that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so that's the way of, of, uh, of getting to specific por- portions of information and in text that you believe are important. But, but <coughs> you, as, uh, as well as me, you know, have, I worked with NLP uh, far before uh, deep learning became... Mm popular and, and revolutionized, you know, how we can work with text um, and, and all these kind of traditional techniques like, you know, stemming mm, or mm. co-reference resolutions mm. or, or whatever kind of technique you, you made use of. Do you think um, they, I mean, we know they're going away a bit, right? Um, well, yeah, perhaps as techniques, but perhaps not perhaps. Some of them are techniques that enable stuff that they, they will for, for sure go away, I, I would say. But mm. in, in some respect, there are uh, means to their own end, like named entities, for instance. If you want to see how many times uh, Facebook were you know, referenced by, you know, CEO or, or Zuckerberg or, or mm. Facebook in, in a... In a in a stream of news, you might still want to extract those. Do you think name entity recognition will still keep on, so to speak? Maybe, uh, yes, I, I believe, but the techniques for getting at them will be different yeah. or are different. Yeah. Mm, <coughs> interesting topic. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm biting my tongue a bit, but yeah, that's, uh, it sounds, sounds... But that's, like okay, great. so that's not what we're working with at RISE. We are, I think we're more aligned with what you're thinking, uh, mm. like representation learning and, yes. and doing semantic search and stuff like that. But but after university, where did we go? Where did you go from here? Uh, I went to the Swedish Institute of Computer Science in pure Swedish six, uh, where I worked for for dozens uh, dozens of years or one dozen of years while I was doing my PhD. Uh, so working full time and, and doing the PhD at the same time is you know, end up taking some time. So that, yeah. that's what I did. And you must have been a colleague with Lale, who has yeah, been on the exactly, podco- exactly, podcast exactly. show yes. earlier, guest. Yes. But you worked in different... We were in different departments then. Uh, but then it sort of reconverged uh, in, in the, when we started at the same day, I, I, I believe, in uh, Recorded Future, mm-hmm. oh, which yeah. was then a small startup. I think he and I were number eight or nine uh, on the... What year was so who was first? <laughs> I, I, I believe he was. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, 2010. 10. Yeah. And then I, from what I've heard, they're like in the 400s of people now, and they sold the company last year for $750 million or something. Yeah. And if quiet. you were to describe what Recorded Future does. Well, what we did back then, uh, I think back then was different from what they're doing right now. Yeah. So they pivoted in a successful way, I would say. Back then we were working with uh, essentially named entities and, you know, and, and temporal refer- referential expressions like for is, is, are we talking about today or tomorrow or, or last week? Or when we say uh, Q1 next year, what, what do we mean? And, and they did uh, like a big database of this. So you could, you can essentially 
uh, query the database and, and like this, let me know about any rumored IPOs in Southeast East Asia in Q2 next year. Mm. And they will have that information. Uh, but now they're working, uh, this is, that, that was about the time when I left them. But now, as far as I understand, they're working more, more with threats and, and threat intelligence. Yeah, uh, that's a big uh, body for that, for sure. Yeah. And, and it's certainly needed these days, uh, no mm. question about mm. that. But you also moved into Galagai, mm. right? Yes. Uh, and how did that happen? Can you just describe the history there a bit? Yes, uh, Magnus Algren and Jussi Algren. Uh, created, uh, started the company Gavagai in 28, I think, 2008. And then they hired me and two of my, two of our four former colleagues in 2011, 2010, I think. And from the start, it was like a more of a technical uh, company. We were building things that were based on Magnus and Yus's uh, research. Mm. Uh, it was actually embeddings before embeddings were cool and it was so long ago so you know map reduce weren't it wasn't a thing back then yeah. so we rolled our own thing uh and you know um, so what did embeddings mean at that time it wasn't word embeddings in terms of word to vec kind no, of style. No. it was something else more, was more it? it was based on uh, on the research on random indexing so it's essentially account based uh, I, I'm sure I will hear from Mangi about this later on, but <laughs> <laughs> account-based uh, method for for actually getting embeddings um, from random seeds uh, upwards, uh, and then you can get uh, different types of relations there. You can get the paradigmatic relations that is the substitution of things. Mm -hmm. So you, you could get synonymity and antonymity, uh, words that mean the same. Mm -hmm. And you can also get the syntagmatic relations, like things that are following, uh, and that we could use for different things. And what was the main applications or use cases? Uh, the first use case uh, is quite different from what they, they or we are actually doing now, because I'm still uh, a part of the company. <clears throat> the first one was, was uh, social media monitoring. Uh, so we, my responsibility was to, to find data providers, get the data integrated into our system and, and, and make sure we had a steady flow of tweets and blog posts and news and such. Uh, so I think at, at the peak, we processed, I think around 10, 10 to 20 million social media posts per day. And who was the typical customer and uh, for what purpose? Uh, well, mostly to keep track on like brands, if people are, are talking, because uh, on, on this as well, we built uh, sentiment. Sentiment analysis, yeah. I was thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. So it turns out that sentiment analysis is, is not something you can actually act on. I mean, you can say, you, you can see you, you have a timeline and you have your, your brand and, and suddenly the negativity goes up. Well, why? What does it mean? So that's when, when we started uh, working more with topics and so on. And this is why where Gavagai is today is more, <clears throat> like, a, like a, to put it simply, it's like an interactive topic model. So you could actually pour in your data if you're a company and you could slice and dice the data and understand uh, what people are talking about, if they're happy or not, or what kind of different sentiments there are if, if, uh, if people are talking about your products. 
So basically you you moved into more and more thinking what is actionable for the customer. Yes, yes, and then basically yes. sentiment is good, but we can do it better. Yes, if you couple it with something else, it's it could be useful. So if you have topics and sentiment and you have a time. I need to connect you with someone. Yeah. We'll take that offline. <laughs> <laughs> good. But you say topic modeling. And do you mean the, the classical type no. of unsupervised topic no, modeling? Or no, something no else? that's not really actionable because okay. that, there are too many knobs to tweak. And yeah. and you can get it's it's more like as far as I understand, it's more like a biased thing. I want to achieve this and I turn my knobs until I get this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I might be misunderstanding something here, but and that's not the way we're doing it at Gavagai. Um, Gavagai's methods are based more on, on terms and term frequency. And, and one other thing that the, the system also learns is, is n-grams, like sequences of words that are prominent in the language. So it could pick up things um, like President Barack Obama or, or whatever president there are there is. But but can you if you just elaborate a bit more? So if it's not unsupervised topic modeling, mm-hmm. you know, basically having a set of text and, and then trying to get, come up with a set of topics that are mm. different in in some way, clustering in some way. Yes, yes, yes. It's a, uh, it's a combination of, of, of topic modeling and clustering. I would say. But, so your approach is more that is it more that you can actually specify some kind of topic that you want to have? So it's like more semi-supervised or purely supervised mm, approach, or how well, would you describe it? Well, I'm not really opera- operational in the company, but I would describe it as if you, it's like an exploration. You can you could have your data and you can explore. So slice the dice, kind of interactive. Yes, exactly. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. And you can do it once, and then when you've done it, you have a model of your your world, in a, so to speak, and then you can do it over and over again. So next time, if you have 3,000 new emails from, from angry customers next week, you can apply the same model and you can see what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's quite successful, actually. But is it used together with sort of traditional MPS methodologies yes. and yes. Uh, uh, CSI approaches? So, so CSI, I'm not familiar M- with. And, 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 yeah, old school. MPS is ruling yeah. the world right now yeah. in this area. I mean, yeah. like it's net promoter score. Yes, yes. So uh, actually, I, I think they see quite a lot of NPS questions. Yeah. yeah. We, we just had a project recently about trying to have, if you take the traditional type of topic modeling, which is unsupervised, mm. but usually based on TF, IDF, this mm. kind of you know term frequency and statistical approaches, and then trying to move it a bit more to... <laughs> Uh, a bit more to uh, the semantical type of understanding that word yes. embeddings or especially these kind of BERT-based approaches mm. today have. Uh, and we just have a, like a semantical topic modeling mm. project. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Do, do you think... Um, I think it's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how you manage to get the, um, the topics, I mean, in context, when you do things with BERT or, or yes. any other transformer model, you have like the whole sequence encoded. I'd love to, to yeah. talk about that in detail. <laughs> but uh, but that before we go there, <laughs> let's finish the first story. Yes. Of, uh, Thank uh, you, Henry. <laughs> yeah, no, but it is not easy, yeah. but there are ways to do it. But let's um, park that one. This yeah, is yeah. cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so Gavagai, and you worked there, and, and they did a lot of uh, very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know the company as well from before, and Magnus Solgren, mm-hmm. who is your colleague, yes. And, yes. and still is today, I guess, in Arise, etc. How did you move from Gavagai? Uh, was it into Rise directly? Was no, it for I went to the Swedish Defense Research Agency first. Right. So mm. what happened was uh, this was before BERT because I remember that October morning by the coffee machine when the BERT paper was released. But this was prior to that. Mm. Um, I realized I was working. I, I really loved it to Gavagai. It's a great place to be. Uh, my best years in, in in work life so far has been there um, in that place. But 
eventually I understood that well, I mean, we were building a product here. We, we went essentially from technology readiness level uh, one or two, which is academic research, to eight or nine, which is a product. And, and having a product and making that journey from, from one, two to eight, nine is, it's challenging and it's, it's cool. But when you are at eight, nine, there are different, uh, prior priorities. I mean, you have to, there, there's support, you have to have uptime, uh, service level agreements and everything like that. So, and I realized my field, I was working more or less like a software engineer back end and, um, and also talking to clients and, and pre-sales and everything. And it's a small company. Everyone does everything. Mm -hmm. But I realized that something is happening to my field, the, the, the seismic shift of neural networks. I mean, they were applied once in, in the 80s, 80s and 90s, and they were quite uncool for some time. And Winter, then yes, back. Yeah, and spring. <laughs> uh, and I realized I, I, I want to be on that train, but to be that, I couldn't be at a, a product company. I had to switch. So, back to research. Yes. And then can, I, can you just yeah. uh, you know, elaborate a bit more? Why couldn't you be at a product company? Because product companies are busy doing product things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess there are a couple of points. I have very few data points on this, but as far as I understand, I, I will not name names, but there are companies mm -hmm. you can pivot when you're young as a company and you can make your, your, your text selections then. But once you do it, it's going to be a lot of time and a lot of money before you can actually undo those changes. But I think this is uh, such an interesting, we should, move, we should move into okay. this topic later. No, we have, we, think, we know, no. we know this is. The whole pivoting and when to do it. Yeah. Actually, uh, I, I, I want to this. elaborate on your level one to nine product mm. model. What's, what's, what are you referring to? Mm. Who's, whose model? Mm. This is really, really good mm. and cool stuff that people need to think about carefully. You clearly are doing it on a daily basis with this, but also mm. how you think in rice that you work up to a certain level, yeah. but yeah. not the rest. Mm. This is a topic in its own that is mm. super cool. Mm. So yeah. two, two good topics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think let's unpack more. Let's unpack. The, the mm. question about, you know, companies that are more product related, mm. like Spotify or Gavagai mm. or whatnot. Um, I think it's super important for them to be innovative. Mm. And it is hard for mm. sure, but very important that they do that. And I agree. And and there's always an explanation. I mean, but and in our case, I think it was the timing. Mm. So it, we built we built our own stack, and then to undo that, it would take time to adopt new technology. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Wow, so many good stuff yep. topics. Well, can we, can we add another hour? <laughs> <laughs> I'm free tonight, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Galagai, but then you move into the Swedish Defense Agency, I guess yes. we can call it. And uh, can you just talk a bit about that, or is it all secret? Or how it's much not. It's not really secret. It's a, it, it's a cool place. You do. They do research for the purpose of, of keeping Sweden safe in a sense yeah. and different different uh, different um, areas and and the, the particular area I was working in had to do with information textual information so mm -hmm. I did one job uh, where we looked at uh, how people online in different forums like flashback and such uh, talked about journalists mm -hmm. uh, in what way if there were derogatory comments or, or, or hateful comments and such and we quantify that in some way and, and put out a report. To, to sort of shed light on that And problem. to what purpose? I mean, why do you understand if they talked about journalists in some well, way? Well, this particular project was actually commissioned by one of the, uh, one, one of the organizations that, that sort of helps uh, journalists. And, and it's also, of course, for democracy and yeah. being able to speak up and, and not be, be afraid. And, and one way of actually putting a light on it is to measure it. Oh. Because then we can actually see if something are changing. And I'm just curious, in what ways this organization placed in the defense 
it's a myndighet. Okay, it's a myndighet. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, um, well, they do different kinds of research, essentially. But uh, so they're not part of militären as such, it's actually it's a statlig myndighet. It's, it's, a, it's a government agency. Government agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And and then you worked there for for some years. No, six months. <laughs> and that's this this is some uh, having to do with expectation expectation management. So yeah. I switched from Gavagai to do the research, and it turned out um, the the projects I sort of faced there was not really the ones that I, I wanted to work with. So instead of hanging the hanging in there and trying to fix it. Um, Uh, I just I, th- I figured I, I need to move on. So I was already moving on in a sense since I was quitting after seven mm. years of one one job. Mm. So great people. Was it the lack of innovation? Was it lack of uh, wrong topics for you? I guess. Uh, was it the the, I think it was yeah the context and also f- yes f- without you know saying too much. I think the view of science mm. was different. Yeah. Okay. So in oh. this sense, interesting. So that moved you into Rice, yes. then, I guess. <clears throat> yes. And for people that don't know what Rice is, how would you describe that? Ooh, Rice is a... Now we're quite a big place. I think we are 2,800 people in it. So it's essentially a an organization comprised of all technical research institutes in Sweden. So we do pretty much everything. Mm. Uh, I found our logotype on plastic bags. I saw a big trailer with tri- with, with cars having our logotype on it. Mm. So we do everything from from uh, from from um, uh, you know testing masks uh, so so they are safe for COVID to um, to computer science. Stoltens Provningsanstalt yes. is part of Rice yes. as an example, just yes. to highlight that yeah. you are really doing a lot of different things. Yeah. That's true. But did you start at six first, and yes. then into rice? Or so, so six is uh, six is actually morphed into to rice now. Yeah. So, so this was at what year approximately? Uh, actually, two and a half years ago. And then uh, rice restructured. Was it last two years ago? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. From from I I actually went in there you on caused the uh, yes, construction. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, no, but I was employed in under a new contract, and, and my colleagues had this old one still. So it was in the middle of the transition. Mm. You were really starting in the transition yes. period. Yes. Yeah. So everything up in the air, and then starting to exactly. structure it down. Exactly. Classic. So there's a lot of opportunity to just do things, which is good. Mm. And uh, you know, I worked a lot with Six as well. And what does it stand for? Swedish Institute of Computer Science, or mm. what's yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was then, you know integrated into rice and they became a common unit so to speak yeah. right yeah so so exactly where in rice are you now uh, oh let's see if i remember the org chart um uh, i think the division is called digital systems and then uh, the subdivision is called computer science and in that is a group called intelligent systems and there's our group called natural language understanding which is like an informal mm. uh, group And you call it natural language understanding yes. instead of processing. Yes. Is that a point to that? Or yes. <laughs> can you describe the differences? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it is. It is in a sense. I mean, natural language processing is is like a larger scope. Uh, you could do named entities, for instance, there. But the understanding part is more. Since this Magnus Solgren, who's who's leading the group, and he's also ha- has a degree in philosophy, so he's really keen on the language philosophy thing and actually 
trying things out in models. So I think it's it's from there actually it stems. So it's more like representation learning and, and and getting these magnificent models to do things that we barely believe are, are possible. Uh, so it's more about that and then trying to use that because since RISE is an applied research institute, uh, we essentially have two interfaces towards our clients. One is research and one is innovation. Uh, and if you work in innovation, you take the things we do in research in natural language understanding and do, then you apply it to 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 whatever information needs and or, or um, use cases they have. So when you say that this piece of RISE, you can actually commission RISE as a consultant like mm. you would go to any other yes. type of industry consultancy. Yes. That's, that's pretty much how we work. Everything is project-based. So we who are researchers, we have our ideas, what we want to do. Um, and I think we are seven or eight in our group right now. And we have our ideas and, and we find peers that are having the same uh, matching problems um, or research ag agendas, and then we work with them. Like Peltarian, for instance, we yeah. have lots of things in common, I think, yeah, I think given so, the, yeah. the projects we have. Yeah. And for people that still don't really understand, like RISE is a re research institute mm. uh, by, by definition, um, but universities uh, are as well moving, mm. I would argue, at least uh, towards more and more yeah. applied research yeah. in some way. <clears throat> Uh, can if you were to try to still describe the differences between working as a researcher in your university compared to Rice, what would you say the differences? Um, well, maybe I'm. Well, if you're in a university, maybe you have the uh, opportunity to think more freely and you know, uh, open spaces, think about you know interesting stuff, and then you th do things that that is not really useful until someone else come up, comes up with this other thing in 20 years and then you can merge them and do something. RISE is more applied, so you, you, you don't have that horizon. Everything is guided by the needs. Uh, I mean, the purpose of RISE is to do to be some, some uh, catalyst for Sweden in digitization mm -hmm. and, and in AI and machine learning in our case. Mm -hmm. So we really have to have like a stakeholder that, that's willing to accept some things um, down, the, down the road, maybe two or three years ago. I mean, or, or way, like like the language model, Swebert uh, project, mm -hmm. where we are building a language model for Swedish uh, and then try to deploy it to, to, to whatever, whoever wants to use it. That's a research project which has as goal to actually build something that we could, could be picked up yeah. by industry. And I think we should have that as a separate topic about mm -hmm. Sveaburt and, and speak a bit more about what we do there because it's a big and very important yeah, It's, it's uh, an important topic. initiative. <clears throat> but still, I th I'm, I'm really trying to, to think you know, how, how I should phrase this properly. Uh, I've been in universities as well after yeah. a PhD mm -hmm. and worked as a researcher in university as well. <clears throat> and there are pros and cons, of course, mm -hmm. in, in working you know, for one in industry completely and in academia completely mm. or in research institutes completely. I mean, it, there there is, there are pros and cons mm. with each. Um, how should I phrase the, this? The, 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 let, let, uh, how do you see the pros and cons? <laughs> they, should be, Thank you. Com, com, they should be complementary, I think, the pros and cons. Well, okay, let me phrase it like this. Yes. Uh, there is one thing, you know, what universities are today and mm. how it works mm. and how, to, how you have to apply for funding mm. all the time to, to get the re research grants you, you need to mm. do the work you need. But in your view, what would be the best way to say that this is what the universities should do? This is the, 
the way rice should do. This is the way industry should do research. Wow, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I mean, it's been so long since I was at the university. Mm. Um, from what I see from within rice, which is of course ridden with confirmation bias, is that we are doing the right thing. We have we have peers that are keen on what we're doing. We are we are constantly doing improvements or changes to what we actually do and what our research to sort of accommodate, there's a push and pull. Like mm. they say they want this and we try to fix this and we tell them you should look at this in this direction. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, there's a- There's a healthy di- dialogue. Yes, I think so. Bottom uh, line, I mean, like you have, you can stretch them, yeah. but then they can pull you back. Mm. This is what we need now. Yeah. yeah, but you should think about this. And yeah. this is a constant dialogue. And I think right now in our field uh, for for NLP and so on, there's a need for education. I mean, people or organization need to be aware of what they should ask for and what they could do. Yeah, and what well, could the do. art of possible. Mm. Uh, they don't know. No, exactly. I think th- this is a great segue into potentially the next topic. And, and unless we, we have some other part of um, the the career part no. that you're in, I mean, you're in Rise now, yeah. and you're working with yeah. NLP, and your your formal ti- your senior research scientist, yeah. right? Yeah. So the, the last question is: What are you working on right now? What's your daily job all about Ooh. at Rice? Oh, my daily job is to juggle meetings in Zoom, Teams, <laughs> and Google Hangouts. Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> well, but there is a mixture of of projects. Uh, I am heavy on the innovation project side, so I'm work with together with clients. Yes, with exactly. Clients. So, yeah. and two of them are actually with with uh, with agencies that are. Um, if we translate this to English, it's, it commends your AI journey. So it, it's uh, they have received funding um, from Binova to uh, start with small projects to get going. Uh, this first few steps on their AI startup uh, frame, you know, approach. Yeah. Exactly, and this is for there were actually two different calls. One of them were for commercial entities, and one is for for public agencies. So this is for public agencies, and then there's the two 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 kinds of goals in each project is one is to do something for them with their data and their needs. And the other one is to help them get educated. And typically do you then based on this Vinova call, we mm. had Vinova, we have yeah. Daniel from Vinova. So we mm. have under explained the call, yeah. but based on this call now, is this basically where let's say the public sector, an agency together with rise yes. is answering on the call and gets funding yes. from Vinova yes. to work mm. on a, get started with AI project. Exactly, and uh, RISE is one part of it. It could be other actors as well doing it. So I work um, quite a lot with that, and we have some other agencies working that we work with, and there's also new things coming all the time. So lots lots with clients and... and Cool, and I I know you can't speak about specific details, but um, you know, let's let's move into this topic, and and you touch upon this a number of times and speaking about product companies mm. and innovation mm. and things like that. Perhaps we can name the, the topic industrial versus academic research in yes, some way. that's interesting. Yes. And uh, if I just unpack it a bit uh, and you g- give some context, we, we can see that especially, you know, in AI, it's been um, a rather strong trend in recent five, ten years to see that, especially in China and US, that people have been moving and there's been like a brain drain from mm. academia into industry. Mm. And the majority of research today in AI, at least, is coming from the tech giants. It's from the Google and the Facebook and mm. the Amazons and the Microsofts and Apples of the world and Chinese companies and so forth. And we still have, of course, the universities, um, but they are, you know, 
challenged by this big mm. drain drain that is happening and and the big salaries that the mm. industry the, the big tech giants can give them and, and industrial or academic uh, universities cannot so for one let me start with a question a bit would you agree with that the for one that the brain drain is happening uh, in especially US i guess and that that is a problem i think it's happening um I'm not sure how many people are actually transitioning in full from from academia to companies or if they're just affiliated. Mm-hmm. What I've heard, I, I listen to podcasts, not all of them are true. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is. But but um, what I've heard is that the big companies are actually claiming people. They pay these, them salaries to have their, their name on, on their rooster uh, just yeah. to prevent boost, other to boost their yeah and to prevent other companies from doing it so mm-hmm. they like yeah oh, i pay for your your professor professorship or whatever so there is a brain drain i mm-hmm. don't think it's good in the long run because what what they're doing is uh, clearly not beneficial to society if you look at facebook and and uh, and different that, that's collectors. a strong statement though yeah. you know clearly not beneficial for society but, but is uh, it i mean i mean what what's happening uh, would we have had this crisis or 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 even in even in a, a context like the pandemic mm-hmm. people are arguing whether things are true or not mm-hmm. where where there is like you have science and you can believe it and they have their own facts i mean where does it come from okay yeah. Let, let's <laughs> have this topic later okay what would happen with and without facebook i think that's an yeah, interesting yeah. topic yeah. but, but to I, let's but, let's circle back to yeah. research uh, yeah. industry versus academic uh how would you approach that topic Let, let's start from let's what's what's your flying to that mm. topic if you do the flying um not really sure i mean <clears throat> we as researcher most often want the society to, to benefit be beneficial uh, benefit from our research i guess mm-hmm. um but then again if you find yourself optimizing for for algorithms for ranking for for ads for instance and ad clicks it might not be a good thing on the other hand it might be so that the work you're doing on this particular optimization problem actually helps something else like drug discovery you never know so i i i think there has has to be a a, a healthy cooperation between academics and and commercial entities yeah i mean like we've had the conversation before i mean like uh, the classic quote uh, who who it is you can name is is uh, academic research and ai at all useful or is it a waste of space when we start you know publishing papers to hit another metric mm. Of, mm. of a test yeah. set but, but that's a bit different topic because i think academia is doing it even more than industry i would say yeah. in that sense um it's jeffrey howard mm. and the, the mm. you know previous president yeah. of kaggle and now yeah. founder of fast ai etc but if we just think about uh, research in industry versus academia mm. and we can say that at least a lot of brain is happening and especially in ai and we can see uh, research is working in some way for big tech giants mm, mm. but most other product companies not so much mm. i mean <clears throat> it's clearly to see that deepmind and and what facebook is doing and others is is rather you know it's very basic research in some way but it's not happening for a lot of other product mm. companies mm. and uh, and f- for me personally i think you know innovation and research in companies is very important and something that we in Europe and Sweden is lagging a bit mm, behind mm. in would you agree with that to start yes, with yes yeah. so then the question is you know sh- what should we do should we try to 
improve the, the, the research in academia. I hope so. But I think, you know, the bigger need perhaps is to improve research in industry. Would you agree? I think, I think there has to be an exchange of, of I mean, the, there should be the same people in academia and, and, and commercial entities. The same you, you go back and forth. I mean, you shouldn't be in the same company. Or you shouldn't be in academia, academia only, forever. perhaps forever. So maybe ah, you had to have different views. Mm. I mean, there we are only so many people doing this, and and in in ten years time there will be something else in AI that's more pressing. Mm. Um, I don't know, gene editing or whatever. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I think I think there has to be an exchange of experience between. Uh, research and academia, uh, commercial research and academic research. And I think one of the things that is differing is the focus and the definition of done. Mm. So what you deliver in a, a company is something else. It's usually, uh, usually uh, something that is going on over time. You have to repeat. I mean, you're, you're, you don't really have a happy customer until the second invoice is paid. I mean, they have to be repeated and stuff, stuff like that. And that you're freed from doing that in academic research because you do it once. But don't you think you can do that in industry though? Still, yeah, maybe. But I, I mean, okay, so let's let's have it at the focus of industry because you have something that you work for. for mm. It's a domain. Yeah. It's yeah. a fundamental problem yes. yeah. that is relevant for yeah. your PNL. Yeah. And I guess it moved back to one of the topics you said before, you know, what's the difference between science and engineering in mm, some way? Mm. And can you do science in industry? Uh, obviously, you can do science in academia, no mm. question about that. Uh, then you can ask, I guess, can you do engineering in academia? Oh, it's a bit harder, perhaps. <laughs> um, but still, do you have a favorite definition of what is science, what is engineering? Uh, science is what I do, and engineering is what people have to do to make my science work. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. That's arrogant, but uh, I mean, the reason I brought up this 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 distinction is because I don't like it. Mm. People, you don't like the distinction. No, oh, because okay. people say, "Well, we are doing science; we're not doing engineering." Yeah. Uh, but what 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 would your science be without the engineering? I mean, if you look like at GPT three, which is a very large language model, mm. which well, it's only engineering to make that work because it has to be sharded across multiple machines. It has to be like thousands. Yeah, like thousands and the inference, you know, people that, that's, that's from my point of view as a scientist, that's engineering. But if you're an engineer working with it, there's no clear cut. Do you think engineering can be science in itself? Yes, I think so. Mm. But I think this is also an interesting topic. Is, isn't this actually needing to be symbiotic? Yes. Uh, we, we had on the micro level, mm. what is the difference with, the, with, with, the, with a data scientist leaning mm. on towards advanced analytics and an ML or AI engineer? Mm. And we started to understand, well, some, someone needs to do the fundamental scientific approach to fix and mo validate the correct model. Mm. Then you need to deploy the model. Exactly. And, and, and respectfully, it's different competences yes, here. Yeah. This is almost software engineering yeah, competence, yeah. and this is actually more mathematical yeah. scientific method. But I, think, I think there is a purpose to have these kind of different terms, the science and engineering, mm -hmm. and I think there is a distinction. I, I have a favorite definition mm -hmm. of this. Do you have one, Henrik? Or? No, I think this is the symbiotic topic is my idea, and I think they're clearly different. Mm. Uh, but I, let's go for your definition. Do you have a I, favorite I one? Or? I, oh yeah, I have, okay, so I have one thing, uh, yeah. the agenda. So yeah. as a scientist, you have an agenda. You yeah. want something, you pursue your, your, your curiosity to, to find something out. Maybe as an engineer, you are fine with following someone else's agenda. You want to make his or her things yeah, actually, work. But actually, the fundamental goal of your, ta your task and your metric is mm. different. Mm. 
if I take the data scientist, can you optimize and validate what is the optimal model for this? Mm. Where where the engineer will be, how do I code that model in the most beautiful, efficient way to mm. deploy it? Yeah. But I'm not really here to do the you know core modeling. That is someone else's job. Yeah. So for me, this is distinctly two different goals. Oh, that's true, that's true. So let's hear your definition. Yeah, I like short and very concise yeah, this is not, I, That's not <laughs> me, but sorry. <laughs> but uh, there's clearly an overlap, no question about that. But, but I think that the, when the, the one big difference is the purpose. Mm. Yeah. So the purpose for science is to build knowledge, mm. the learning aspect, the building knowledge yeah. purpose. Engineering has the clear purpose of building some product. Hmm. But to build a product, you need knowledge. <laughs> and to build knowledge, you need products. Mm -hmm. So there is an overlap. But the big distinction, I would argue, is the purpose. But could we substitute product for system? Then I would be fine. Because it's yeah. not always product. I mean, if you look at Defend just... Yeah. But the product Semantics. can be a system, <laughs> I, I guess. But, it, but, but, this, but is some, this is knowledge. This is the optimum model. But how do I put that in operation or, or mm, production mm. product? Mm. Uh, but system is another way of putting something in, into use. Mm. Maybe mm. the engineer puts stuff to use. Your hook is product because there's yeah. different ways of defining. So, what, 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 I kind of like the idea. Yeah. I like the definition of it. And I, I think the, the things we're talking about, engineers and science, are, are you know, long, long established terms. But now we're looking at MLOps, uh, AIOps, <laughs> DevOps. <laughs> exactly like that. And right. these are terms or, or job titles that didn't exist four or five years ago. Mm. So I, I, I'm reading a book. I don't remember the name exactly. It's it's something with um, design patterns for machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, there is actually a book on. It says, well, here's here's the different roles, uh, and there's a nice graph of that. And it says that if you're a scientist, this book is not for you. So it's actually how do you do a feature engineering? How do you do rolling deployment? How do you mm -hmm. do? So there, there, I think there are 30 recipes on. There's a it's a Google book. Uh, it is an engineering book. Uh, more or less, yeah. I, I, and I, me as a, as a more or less scientist, I really enjoy reading it and see, okay, so this is what you can do. This is how you can represent, you know. And, and, this. and, but, and this topic, of course, we can do this in a, in a philosophical way, but it is actually a huge topic if you go to a large uh, traditional enterprise that are mm. trying to recruit and balance a team and try to understand what they really need to hire. Mm. Because ultimately, if you hire a data scientist, He's here to figure out which model is the optimum model and validate and have that reliable and mm. all that. And maybe they need one of those guys, but they, they kind of need more engineers mm. or something like that. Mm. And, and they don't really understand the distinction of this. Mm. So I think this is quite important when you start thinking about going in this journey and scaling this and operationalizing mm. AI. Uh, to okay. understand the difference. So, so what the the um, if we try to close this topic a bit, but what's the um, utopian kind of future where we have uh, industrial and I hope academic research working in harmony in some way? Where do you see the biggest biggest investments that we need to do? If you were to speak to some politician, for example, and say, you know, That's we need one. to fix this to make Swedish mm. research in general work mm. better. Well, I think, uh, well, how should I put this? Someone dropped the ball in, in the government looking at how WASP, the Wallenberg uh, Foundation, is actually funding the biggest uh, you know, leap into AI in Sweden. It's a private entity. It's yeah. not the government. Yeah. So I think they dropped it. They, uh, someone should pay for academics to do academic research and 
be aware of that it has to be free and it has to be allowed to cost money. Right. Of course, they have to balance it f for everything else that uh, people want. Yeah, I think that's really well put, I think. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we want the research in, a, in industry, but it's going to be a bit more biased in yes, industry yes. because it has a clear purpose of serving the you know, business model that the industry has. Yeah, and, and the business, they're there for their shareholders uh, in order to make money. Yeah. To put it and, and that's okay mm. in, in many senses. And, and I think, you know, research and industry in that way can be really, really useful. Mm. And we've seen that in, in Google and Facebook mm. and uh, in China, even Chinese companies, yes. I would argue. Yes. But I think there is a big need for academic research as well, mm. especially being not dependent on mm. the business values that otherwise are there. Right? You could you can put it like this. Academic research wouldn't have come this far unless there had been like the commercial entities as well. I mean, BERT, yeah. for instance, and all the transformer things. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit unfortunate that actually what's driving research in AI, at least, is the industrial aspect of mm. it, not the, the academic. Uh, I know people are, would argue me on that, but I actually think it's yeah. true. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, agree? I agree. So, I, But I see it's like a leapfrogging. Uh, so maybe mm. academics will take over. Uh, take over whatever that means, but they had mm. now now the industry leapfrogged and now mm. gearing up, and then we hope uh, the academia will take the next leapfrog. Mm. Exactly, much push like, each other, much much like data and algorithms. I mean, algorithms algorithms were the cool things, were the secret things, and now every everything is open because the people re releasing the algorithms know that the data is not there for for other people to actually monetize on the on the models. So there's cool. Um, let's let's take another topic here, and um, I'm, I'm eager to jump um, to one of the statements you made that mm -hmm. uh, Facebook uh, is hurtful in, in many ways. Yes, uh, but let's try to keep it a bit short. Uh, mm -hmm. I think because I would like to move it to Svebert as well mm -hmm. and, and speak a bit longer about that. But and and he did a segue to data, but we didn't pick uh, up on that. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. I, I have it in my list. I know. No worries. I, I, I no felt worries. it. I felt uh, it. No worries. Okay, so you said something about you know Facebook and. <laughs> What was your, uh, okay, can you just repeat it now? What, what are your thinking about Facebook and how that well, has impacted uh, research or society? No, but it's, it's Facebook as a proxy for so, uh, social media. Mm. Um, okay, social media in general. Though. In general, and I, I think there's a, there's a good, there, there are good things obviously and there are bad things. And I, I think what we see in the news and what we experience might be the bad things. Mm. Uh, and, and this is the, the uh, uh, polarization between people and right. and, and uh, filter bubbles, filter bubbles, exactly. Yeah. And the things that we don't understand, yeah. I mean, we are in our bubbles and we don't understand the people outside the bubble, and that's a problem. Mm. Uh, and we're not really humble about it. Um, so, and I think so that's. We just, can we can we use the the, the um, go down in this topic because not everybody might mm. have heard and understood it, the, what we know with mean with the filter bubble and how we all yeah. get our individual truth right now on social media. Could you just elaborate on because yeah. this is my concern. So, like like the uh, canonical example is uh, well, not an example, but but see, you have algorithms prioritizing the things you see on Facebook. So, or mm. even even a search engine. So, yeah. if I search for something given my history. And you search for something, we will uh, we will see different things. Yes, um, and this the fact that we see different things uh, are enforced or reinforced mm. by by us moving along in this virtual world and, and interacting with the people we are interacting yeah. with, and and then we come to believe perhaps that, that everybody that, else likes yeah. mountain biking as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. This is this is the world, and and, and then you encounter someone who's outside this and, and believes that the Earth is flat. 
Yeah. Oh, this is weird. They must be stupid. And by by the way, the flat earthers, all they see are <laughs> articles. Yes. Stating that exactly. the Earth is flat. Exactly. And that movement movement is is, is expanding very rapidly yeah. recently. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, like the filter bubbler and flat earthers is some sort of correlation in this. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we. Of course, you know, social media, mm. if I were to make some kind of statement here, it, it was a big revolution and changed mm. really the way we communicate mm. and how we interact with people in so many ways. And I'm sure it's a lot of barnsjukdomar, um, uh, what do you say, like uh, some initial problems mm. with the way we implemented that. And uh, the filter bubble is for sure one. I, I, I think this is bigger. We didn't understand how no. huge this is and, and how we unleashed these algorithms. No one could have planned or expected this. There, there wasn't a plain planned filter bubble. No, I, I don't think. I don't think people were meaning, you know, no. bad things when they did it. They just mm. yes. Yeah. So okay, let, let's take uh, let's say YouTube or something, mm. and, and let's say that you know I, I search for. Uh, dancing or a book or something, and I get my mm. nice last list of, of uh, how to do proper dancing and how not to do it. And, and since I clicked a number of things in the past, I probably get similar things mm. when I search for that. And if you like different type of dancing, you probably get different lists. The question then is, what is the solution? I mean, of course, still we can say that in general, having these type of recommender systems, which they have, is a big benefit in, mm. in, in, in general. Mm. It's just that they have perhaps some bugs or problems with the way they're implemented. Would you think that the solution would it, okay, if we just crystallize it into, should we simply shut down recommender engine or should we try to change how they work to avoid these kind of problems? What do you think the solution is? Uh, I'm not sure about the solution, but I think the optimization, what they're optimizing for is different. Mm. I mean, they're optimizing perhaps for, for engagement uh, on the platform to be able to show ads, targeted ads, and then uh, earn money. So maybe the optimization goal has to be something different for this to be beneficial for society instead. Mm. Uh, okay. So that's, that's you one say of the ads. Okay, so mm. do you think ads in general is always hurtful? No. Do you think there is a way in the future that ads can actually be beneficial for users in some way? Yes. I mean, I sometimes click ads because they look interesting and I find new stuff. Yeah. I mean, but it's, but you, no. you, I think this is quite profound, right? What, what, what are these algorithms optimized for? Yes. And, and ultimately, uh, they, are, they are optimized for a couple of things. They're, they're clearly optimized for maximizing the time you stay on online. Mm. Because the longer you stay online, yeah. the, the more ad revenue you can get from it and all that. So all of, all of a sudden now, if you, with, with that metric, it realizes that, well, I should give him two types of messages. Things that gets him really upset, mm. he will click on that. What mm. the fuck is this shit? Or, or, or things he really love. And, and, and then we are feeding the bubble. So, mm. so here's an interesting one. Do we need to steer on these you know, metrics we're optimizing on? Because I think that's part of the problem here. That it's, it's you know, this is AI for greed, right? Mm. That is then taking this good service too far mm. simply because, I mean, like it's almost addictive, right? How they drive our social behavior to click on it and click on it and click on it. Mm. So it's, and yeah. Uh, so I think this is quite one topic. There was a couple of years ago, I think the f last election in the US, not the previous one that just was, uh, but the one before, they had um, um, 
some of the bigger news outlets had this red feed, blue feed, uh, side by side, Facebook um, uh, feed uh, based on whether you were Republican or Democrat. And it, they, uh, you could search for things like Hillary Clinton and you would see completely different things. Interesting. So it was really you know, eye opening. Um, and I think, I think we shouldn't look for solutions too quickly. We should try and stay in, in problem space and see why is it that we are seeing, is this a problem? I claim it's a problem. Could we quantify that in some way and actually make sure, maybe it's, it's not a problem, but maybe it's just because a, a few people think it is. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's not, not the reason that we had Donald Trump as the president in the US, for instance. I mean, uh, for one, I agree that it is a problem, no question about that. And it's been a lot of issues with how the big social media companies are using recommender systems. But then the question is really, you know, what can we do? I mean, one thing we cannot do is to say, let's turn off all the social media. No. I mean, no, it's no, not going to happen. I don't think that's an option either. No. So the question then, I think I know that some companies like YouTube and I know Spotify mm. and others are thinking about, you know, can we in that way make recommendations more diversified yes can you simply say exactly. that if you rec if for example if you take news mm. articles for example and recommend resistance for news i know for example some companies without saying names are working with saying okay you search for news about uh, hillary clinton mm. then they're going to deliberately <laughs> have kpis metrics that are optimized exactly for like this that says these are positive and these are mm. negative aspects of that specific term mm. like sentiment mm. analysis mm. kind of measures for that to try to say, let's always aim to have a diversified set of recommendations when you search for terms. Yeah, I, I think you are, you're better in framing what I was trying to get to. Mm. It's the fundamental metric that may, might be the problem. And if we want to deal with these problems, we might need to deal with how we are defining the metric mm. that we are, you know, like you did now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's actually I think, quite... I think there are. I know people are working with it. I don't think we have the solution today. Mm. I know most social medias are not doing this right now. But I think there is ways, there are ways yeah. to do it. And even this could, be yeah. this could be regulated even to some point. Sure. Well, and yeah. I also think it's, it's a matter of non-technical solutions. I mean, look at the kids today. They, mm. In school, pretty early, they have, they have courses on, on how to be, uh, you know, think for themselves and, and uh, you know, question news items and <clears throat> if you look at different studies i've seen um the people the year the, the age segment that are most uh you know prone to to fall for for these kind of things they are the, the older people like like my parents and, and and that that generation so i think this might be an over you know a passing thing but this is also a really good angle i, I have my concretely my 12 year old he has his book reading in sanska mm. and what is he reading Critical thinking on internet. Yes, really. Yes, twelve, yeah, 12, 12 years old. Yeah. I, I, I got blown well. away. Yeah, right? yeah that's awesome. Uh, this was internet trolling and, mm. and how to act. Mm. So he was. So so they were using books to educate them yes. on how on internet behavior, and I think that's part of the solution. Mm. Yes, that they are. We are more critically. You know, how do we get away from this uh, fake news? Right. Mm. If we're all critical around it, and we 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 start looking at sources in a different way, and I think the generation like twelve years old. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Exactly. So there's a multi multifaceted angle to yes. a problem like this. Absolutely. That's a good uh, good good ending on that one, I think. Mm. Awesome. Well, yeah. you, I, I, we need to talk about NLP and we need to talk about data, guys. And <laughs> time flies. So yes. at least those two. We need, we, okay. We let's, promise let's, that as key themes. Let's move into NLP then. And, and perhaps <clears throat> we should move into the Sveberch uh, yeah. 
projects. Um, and that's an interesting one. And, and Svebert formally is the Swedish language model for Swedish authorities projects, a big one where RICE mm. is involved and, and uh, yeah, Kaltarion and mm. a number of Swedish authorities like uh, the tax authority and the employment agency. And, uh, so I asked a stupid others. question. What is Svebert? Yeah, perhaps you, you like to give uh, your oh, description. Yeah, okay. So um, there is this neural architecture, a model for, for learning things called a transformer. Mm. Uh, that sort of morphed into something a bit different called BERT, uh, which I think the name BERT is from, from Sesame Street. And it was because the, the best model before that was Elmo. Uh, so now it, they call it Muppetware. Um, anyway, so um, <laughs> I've heard that actually. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so and and and, By, and who was Google, right? <laughs> yeah, Google. Google yeah. did this. Uh, and and um, too much fun at work. That's where yeah, I exactly. And and they, from what I heard, this is actually more of an engineering <laughs> effort than a science effort. That's that's mm. the rumor about Bert. Anyways, um, it's it's for English originally, uh, but we perhaps need to do this in Swedish for for Swedish. Uh, for the Swedish society and, and this is, it requires some uh, power in terms of computation and in terms of, of data and such. So perhaps I think the idea was that maybe no one singular commercial entity should do this, but, but, but maybe like uh, the state should sponsor this. And we had a consortium with Rice and Peltarion and others to, to actually build models like this. Um, and and a key player in this is Kungliga Biblioteket, um, Swedish National Library, because they have all the data. A lot of data. A lot so of all the data. But a lot of data. But yeah. so there's the most Swedish data, I think. Yeah. But there's, yeah. for, for yes. the uninitiated, there's a lot of unpacking here. Yeah. We're talking about transformers. We're talking about language mm. models. We're talking about using transformers uh, to create BERT, which mm. is an, a language model. And now ultimately the context is, can we use this technology and these open source frameworks mm. and make a Swedish language model yes. for general purpose? Yes. I would rephrase it as, can we make this language model work for Swedish as good as possible? Yes, okay. yes I know where you, where you go with this. I yes. don't, <laughs> now, this was good because I don't understand the difference what you said to what I said, but there, there is a distinction. I think we can I, move into this topic. So <laughs> the topic then would be monolingual versus yes. multilingual yes. Ah, models. Nice. Um, that's a nice segue. Yeah. Cool. But, Super. but before we go there. Um, this is all NLP, but different facets. I love it. Yeah. Okay. No, but, but I think I, I really like this product in general. It's a three-year project. You know, it's financed by, Vino by Vinova and then in-kind from the companies and partners mm. that uh, are part of it. And uh, I also like, actually, that the public sector is mm. so heavily involved. Mm. And I also must give some praise to the agencies that we do have in Sweden um, that are actually are surprisingly innovative, mm. I must say. Um, and, and are able to work with the latest type of AI in ways that uh, 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 is a bit uh, surprising to me, actually. And, and it's really in a positive mm. way. So I'm really happy for that. Um, but then still, of course, we, we want to make sure that the Swedish industry in general is able to use AI for Swedish text. Mm. I, I mean, that's a general goal, right? Mm. And then we have a number of, should we move into the, the contrasted tension as an example, perhaps? Or do you think yeah, that's a maybe. good topic? Um, so we have a number of um, results already from this product. We're, I guess, one and a half year into mm. the product or something, uh, less than halfway. But we already have some really cool results. Um, if you were to speak about the contrastive tension, how, how would you describe that work? Um, awesome. 
No, that's a good way. <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's, well, it's it's my colleagues. I wasn't I wasn't really involved in it, other than talking and and reading uh, drafts of the paper. It's basically an idea by which you could train a language um, model to to represent text in a way that you could measure for quantify the sem- semantic similarity. That is the content of the text, the meaning of the text, in a sense. So you can have two meanings that are phrased differently. Uh, that has different words in different order, but they mean essentially the same, and you can compare them by using this model. There are m- many different models by, by which you can do this, but this in particular is, is, is trained in something called an unsupervised way. So it means that you don't have to have like uh, an answer key or annotations, annotations to do this. Yeah. from hell. Yeah. No, exactly. So this is this is uh, something that uh, Fredrik Karlsson uh, at Rice came up with uh, past summer, um, and 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 together the team and this is why I love to work at Rice so much because the team uh, that I'm work with I'm working with is really good at picking up these things. Someone has an idea and they started bounce it off the walls and then they come, you know, do something with it. And one natural outlet for this particular idea was to 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 write a, a paper, a scientific paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I saw in Slack today uh, that they were actually working on the formatting of the camera ready copy for. For the conference, so. so it was accepted for one of the biggest mm-hmm. AI conferences, mm-hmm. iClear, right? Yes, in, yes. And, and that's a really big thing. Yeah. So this is huge, right? Yeah, yeah. it's huge. I, I, I played around with it. Uh, I mean, that, that's also one thing that's really cool now. It's it, um, the path from uh, research to actually using the research has never been shorter. So uh, Frederick did this, trained some models, uh, uploaded them to GitHub with, with the example code, and you can download them from, from Hugging Face, which is one of the frameworks that you can use, and then I could play around with it at home. Mm. So it's, it's really cool that way. But uh, yeah. But could we, could we decompose a little bit like this? Because I sense or understand that Transformers has really re- revolutionized uh, machine learning space. Mm. And... 80-90% of who is doing advanced analytics is not on the train mm. in Sweden. Let's say advanced analytics. No, I mean, like, I, I, we do AI, so you do machine learning, yes. Mm. And what do you do in machine learning? Well, not transformers, mm. uh, not even, maybe, yeah. re, you know, not hardly even. So Luca would say traditional <laughs> AI or advanced, uh, a, you know. Yeah, so analytics c- is different from AI, I would say. Yeah, but, but okay. let's, let's, yeah. let's simply be in the machine learning space. Yep. And then what is now the difference with transformers and, and how does this relate into BERT? And then and then I think you could start pack, unpacking it deeper and deeper mm, and deeper mm. and deeper, but you, you are, you're starting so far ahead mm. where, where 90% don't even understand transformers. So, so we could start by looking at the data and say that um, when you represent the data in the good old days, scikit-learn way, we, you did it by, and this is text and it's representation mm. learning. <clears throat> you did it by counting words. And there's a scheme for weighting, uh, weighting terms called TF-IDF. So mm-hmm. term frequency, inverse document frequency. That's, that's one, one way of doing it. It's very simple. It's, it's still very competitive in certain tasks, which is, which is worrisome because we want to do the cool stuff. Right. It um, is uh, annoying. Yes, it's it's annoying when the old model is outperforming the cool stuff. Really, <laughs> diminishing returns some way to to, yeah. just, to use different things. But what what it ends up with that you have like uh, if you have a text encoded using bag of words, which is called you have a, like a set of words and you have the weights on it, you get a long vector for that text. Uh, this can do a lot of things, but it can't do things like synonymity and antonymity and semantic relations on the word level. 
So, uh, and this is the next step was the word to vec things. Uh, was it 2014 or what? 13, I think. 13, yeah. yeah. In, that's, in that way, you could compute um, based on the context of the word, uh, that is how the word is actually used in text. You could, you could say something about its meaning. And, and I think the, um, the main idea is that two, if two words are, are used in, the, in a similar context, in the same in similar sense, they mean pretty much the same thing or similar things. So in, instead of having st a statistical kind of approach mm -hmm. of counting term frequencies, you had a small neural network yes. with a single hidden layer. Yes. So try to use the con so yes. now we're going into neural networks at yes. least. Yes. This is the first breakthrough yes. with neural networks yes. in this space. So first the first, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. one of the big ones. One big ones. Okay. One, one of them. It's quite cheap to use, and there are variants of this: Glove and, and Fastext yeah. and Wordvec. And are they still useful in some cases? Yes, in some cases, I would argue they are, yeah. <clears throat> because what they can do is actually see things in context. Uh, in one way, you can have if you have one one type uh, or, or or one token that is one expression on on the surface text. Like, can't come up with an example. Bank. Mm -hmm. uh, Paris Hilton, Paris, pa Paris City. Yeah, Paris Hilton. Yeah, Paris Hilton. Uh, she was My conceived class. there, right? No, <laughs> Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah. So, can you distinguish between a person and a city? Oh uh, no, you can't. You can't really do it. If you have like mm. orange and orange, you had the fruit and the, the telecom company. What is it with telecom companies and bad naming? Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, Apple. Uh, Apple. But Apple. If you talk about Apple on on the interwebs, it's usually in plural. You have say apples. Mm. So oh, that's right. not too big a problem. That's something I learned at, at Gavagai. Oh, Anyways, oh, okay. so you have you have the the word uh, uh, thing. You can actually say something about the words uh, uh, in the sense that if you have a, a um, representation of a text based on on word to vec, you could say uh, you could say that two texts, um, one having Paris Hilton and one saying something about Continental. City of Paris. Also. City of Paris or, or Paris Hilton and Continental something. You could say that uh, Paris Hilton is one hotel and the other Continental is one hotel. So they're quite similar, despite not sharing any, any lexical features. Mm. So that's one thing. But then came Transformer and BERT. And, and Transformer is like an... We had this uh, sequential networks before, but this is one way of, of encoding uh, data in a way that you can actually have long, sort of long-term dependencies. So if you have Paris Hilton, the name of a person, and Paris Hilton, the name of a, of a hotel. hotel, you would have different representations for those particular things. And this is what these contextualized language models are actually doing. And here, here I learned now we talk about attention is all you need. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So explain attention in this context. And attention in this context is a way of, well, to explain attention, I, I would say that you have to go back to look at how you did it with recurrent neural networks before. So you had the, the recurrence, that is, you have like a sequence of things uh, and then you could remember from previous sequences or previous states in the sequence something. But one of the problems there is that this, this memory sort of diminishes as, 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 as you go along. So with the attention, you didn't encode it as a sequence. Uh, you instead encoded things, put it bluntly, as if, if, I, if I'm a word in a sentence, I have attention on certain other uh, positions mm. because this is what means something to me. And these attention uh, masks are also learned by, from, the, from the data. Uh, perhaps under so, so it's something yeah. about the words in a context mm. and the attention of mm. what has been in the sentence before. It means that the logic should be around this. Uh, yes, something yes. like that. So, and and these are, uh, if you think of it in 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 ways that you can actually imagine, uh, these are too small. I mean, these are so big the networks, and there are so many parameters. Yeah. It's like functions that have billions of parameters that you could 
tweak. Yeah, so MT5 is the new one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in short, it's a, it's a big revolution. And now go nerdy. Now yeah. go nerdy. <laughs> now we have introduced the topic. To yes. go. Now I want to go uh, to the next level. Tra- yeah, go. Yes. And now trans- we go to the Transformers next is not only single language, it's multilingual also, and it's also multimodal. That is, you're not only able to crack the language code, but also images. Yeah. So what's the cool thing with MT5 to what it was done before? What is MT5? Uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> sorry, I'm just feeling it. <laughs> no, no, you, you go now. You go now. Sorry, I don't know shit. Blame yourself. I'm going to speak far too much about this now. But please. No, but but Transformers, of course, from 2017 started as a translation mm. model, and then Bert came and a general like um, classification and regression type of mm. network that was really revolutionized in so many ways, and being made able to use in pre-training, which was a big thing mm. with Bert. And, and that has really also changed that you don't need as much annotated data, mm. which this contrastive tension paper is also really much about. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the normal kind of the thing that we spoke about before, which is what is really the biggest use for AI in industry or for when you really use it in practice is that, you know, annotating data is really hard. Mm. It's easy in, in academia because you just use academic data sets, but in reality, you don't have that. You don't have annotations, but you have data in some way, mm. even PDFs, even <laughs> though it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> dirty, dirty text, dirty, dirty, text. dirty data. Um, so the question is then really, how, how can you minimize the amount of, of, of annotated data? And I think BERT made a big revolution yes. when yes. it comes to that. Because you have practicality now. Mm. You, yeah. you know, it's not just a, 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 a groom text set, but it's actually real dirty data and mm. it can sort of sort it out. Yeah. And then the, the T5 paper came out uh, like a year ago mm. and, and it, it actually went back from BERT to mm. the original transformer mm. and, and generates text. And uh, it seems to actually be a way to just improve performance even more, which mm. is kind of surprising. And then this multilingual approach came uh, like so a M and ago. M and is multilingual yeah. T5. So training 100 languages at once, at once uh, in a single model, mm. moving it to a more generic model, uh, seems to work surprisingly well. So you can even use something that's trained to do some task like sentiment analysis or question answering or some kind of cla- text class- class- classification in, in English and then directly apply it to mm. Swedish without training for any Swedish annotated data at all. And ha- how does that amazing. concretely work? Well, what is happening under the hood? Oof. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really it's, hard. It's magic. It's magic. And, and it is so, it's that cool, isn't yeah, it? It's really cool. And I think uh, maybe it's not the MT5 paper, but maybe, was it Excelnet or Excelmar? Excelmar, yeah. yeah. Where, where, they showed, paper, yeah. yeah where they showed that when you have um, small languages like Swedish, not much data, are actually... <laughs> beneficial or uh, benefited from from this uh, multilingual setting because you could piggyback off of the English data, for instance. But because it it, it really sounds um, crazy that you know you you don't really need any text and it can sort of. Sorry, chips man. But I mean, like with MT five, how you can pick it up and it can kind of on the fly translate. I mean, let's, let's move into this topic about monolingual. Mm. I think it, we're still into Svebert land mm. here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, we want basically to maximize the ability to use AI for Swedish text. Mm. That's the mm. end goal yeah. in some way. Yeah. And one way to go there is monolingual models. And we've done a lot of mm. really amazing work with that, like uh, contrasted contrasted. So Bert is a monolingual model? It, there are both uh, mo- multi and monolingual versions okay. of BERT, I would say. But um, in Svebert, we have done mainly, I would say, 
monolingual yeah. versions of mm. language models so far. Mm. And one of them is the contrast attention, another is the KB Birch mm. and Arvis Million, the AF Birch. So KB uh, must be Kungliga Biblioteket Birch. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it's really also because it, it really, you know, puts state-of-the-art results when it comes to do some kind of yeah, text classification task or something for Swedish text. So we we we, we even got in, an internal who can do the best Swedish model, I guess. Mm. There's so, always a competition. Always a yes. competition. So then it comes, uh, and, and here's a question to you as well. Uh, you know, the pros and cons of monolingual versus multilingual. And, and obviously we can say that it's probably easier to train a monolingual model to beat state-of-the-art result for some specific task mm. and specific mm. language, right? If you train it a lot of Swedish data, you, you get a lot of you know high performance mm. there. So then it comes back to I'm not sure if you heard about Je- Jeffrey Howard's comment. You know, he, no. Uh, so he he was the, the president of Kaggle before, and now he's the founder of SDI. Yeah. And he someone asked him, I think it was Lex Friedman in one podcast saying, "What do you think about the research being done in deep learning these days?" And he said, "I think." Uh, <laughs> The, the majority of research uh, being done in, in deep learning is a complete waste of time. <laughs> But you, you have to say that in an Australian accent, right? Yes, uh-huh. yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what he meant is basically, you know, we can see all the big tech giants, especially, and some universities are mm. competing, and even Swedish uh, mm. people in Svebert mm. are competing, saying we can get one mm. half a percentage point yep. higher yep. on this some kind of task. On this uh, sample text. Mm. But they don't really consider the practicalities of using it in mm. that way. It re- still requires you to annotate a lot of data mm. if you want to use models like this. Well, well, this is what happens if you have a metric as a goal and then you mm. start optimizing for that metric. Exactly. It's useless. Yeah, back to this topic. Back yes. to this yeah, social media kind of thing. Yes. But it's also the industry and science, you know, what's the metric, mm. how we want to steer our research could mm. be an interesting yes. angle on this. But let's not go there. Yeah. Continue, yeah. continue, continue. I, mean, I think we should try to end the Sweber topic here. Um, i think it's, it's really awesome that we actually do have these kind of initiatives yeah. in Sweden and we're able to collaborate with RISE in these kind of ways. And, But do, and do, do you see, can you take the next step with Sweebert by going into MT5, explore, explore, you know, in a way start over, but with a multilingual model? I mean, Sweebert is one thing. I think they are using, we are using actually different different kinds of architectures. So BERT is one and then there are many others as well. So might might be more you know, useful for for the kind of language that we're using. But uh, going back to the multilingual thing, maybe we should just bring in all the Nordic languages that are pretty exactly. similar and just, yes. you know, be, get more data and get, get more leverage, perhaps in particular for the smaller Nordic languages. Exactly. Yeah. A, yeah, I like it. And perhaps as a final pointer and, and just moving a bit more You need to go generally. deeper, guys. You promised me, guys, don't interrupt me, Henrik. I'm going to go deep now on NLP. <laughs> Let's go, man. Let's go. I don't mind. <laughs> But NLP, I would say like this. I, I started, uh, I, my my basic training was in, I graduated in 97, 98. Mm. And in those days, no one actually cared what we did. Oh. It was like, what? And now people are starting to care. And now now it matters uh, what we're doing. And with, with, this, with this interest, there are a host of other things coming as well, like like transparency, fairness, and all the things, all the explain, yeah, explainability and all the, the tricky things that we as engineers and scientists are like, oh, this is awkward. 
but it's a sign that uh, society and, and people are ready. Wants to make it robust. Now. Yes, and we're ready to accept what it, we can offer. So now they're asking the tricky questions to really start using it. Exactly. So NLP is not just about models and, mo- and scoring. Uh, it's also, um, I would say, predominantly about using things and actually get acceptance. And but if you think about it, the, the usability is endless. Yeah. I, I, I so many use cases in so many different uh, Well, we are at that. Did we have like any discussion about like the usability of NLP in industry or any type? Let's of go there now. Yeah, yeah because I, I think let's it's go a there good, now. good uh, mm. way to finish it. It's great to to talk about like what it is, but how can companies actually use it, or mm. even people or startups? Mm. So, what is the use? I mean, like I I, I use claim the the usability should be endless mm. for NLP type. Uh, driven processes yes. or, or really rethink a whole process if you can use the normal text. Yeah, I, I can only answer from the point of view of an applied research uh, facility. Uh, and I think Anders is more equipped to answer you, you have since, you, since you have this. Mm. You're, you're at a different position and you're perhaps meeting, meeting clients that are more technically adept and, and know what they're asking for. Our clients are usually, they have to be educated to a certain degree. And so that's what we do. And that's what we can do because we're a, a government owned research facility. But let's hear it from you. Um, what, what's- No, but I mean, in short, I think, you know, if you compare all the different modalities, mm-hmm. as you call it, you know, different types of data that you do have, it can be text, it can be images, it can be audio, it can be time series, it can be, you know, tabular data or numbers simply. And, and just thinking about, you know, what is the most common type of data format that companies have? Mm, I sure. would argue, and I, what we've heard, is that text is the clearly mm. predominant type of data that, that companies have. And if we can make use of that in, in, a, in a better way and actually start to understand the meaning of it, um, the applications of it are mm. uh, immense and more than the other types of uh, data modalities that we do have. Mm. Saying that, though, I'm not sure. And, and just because you said it, we, we want to go really deep. And, and it's thinking, one topic. <laughs> Take, pick one. And I'm not sure, sorry, Fredrik, for, for just bringing this on you quickly, but it was a paper came, coming out from Facebook, I think, just a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. It was called Unified Transformer. Uh, I haven't read that. Uh, so, but in short, they, they want to do a multimodal and multi, multitask kind mm. of transformer. Mm. That's cool. So I really, you know, like the general direction of the research moving into more generic mm. models, but it's not made for a specific task, mm. not just made for sentiment analysis, not just made for question mm. answering, mm. not just made for text classification in some way, but done for many yeah. tasks at once. And you can apply it for whatever you want. It sounds like GPT-3. No. <laughs> This is more. I, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I was just—he <laughs> likes to. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> the thing with this one, it actually is not only for multitask; it's also for multimodalities. Yeah. So then, that means that it can handle both text and images mm. in this case. Mm. So this is from Facebook, and mm. it came out recently. And they have a shared set of parameters, which is transformer-based, mm. uh, with an encoder and encoder depending on what type of modality it is. So mm. the the image has a different encoder than the text, but still they have a common decoder. Mm. And basically in short, you can say it's a shared model, a single model that can be used for different tasks mm. and different modalities and combined into one. So this is truly, I, now we get into multi-purpose tools. Yeah, generic AI. A generic AI. We're moving towards AGI in uh, some way. So, <laughs> so this is a generic little thingy that can apply to solve 
different types of problems, but it can be both language problems and image. Um, and I think I think the natural idea is to use different modalities to learn. I mean, as we as humans clearly don't use or learn language. My kids didn't learn language by reading. So there's yeah. there's much more at play, like like pointing and and mm. and feedback and and whatever. Uh, so bringing text and bringing images and sounds and sensor data and what 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 not. I think so, that's the way to do it. So what what you're highlighting in its small microcosmos, this is going general. Yeah, I mm. mean, I think it's going in the right direction. It's so much more applicable. Mm. The practicality of using these more generic models is very high. So if I understand it right, instead of having multiple different models for many different things, you you can have fewer models that can then handle more use cases. You train it on the whatever data you have. You want to apply it for your specific use case, and then you simply you don't have to retrain it for that. Mm. You, you can train it another task, and it still works and learns how to do it. it it's it's like multilingual. Yeah but for multitask and multimodal. Mm. So imagine multilingual, multimodal, multi multitask, everything all, in once. All human communication in one mm. model. At some point in time, it will be a human brain, you know, it, a generic human level of intelligence. And G this is, is very, very far away, but it's moving in that direction. And I like it. And, and, and so this was a paper the other week from Facebook. Yeah. And do we know why they are working on this particular problem? What, what are they planning to use it for? How does it fit into their usage? Or is it just, is it actually general research? This is probably more based research, yes. But uh, the applications, I think, is obvious for, for Facebook since they have images and text all the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so they have one more to sort, then, then they can simplify the it's whole very infrastructure. Easy for the, they yeah, can simplify the infrastructure. Yeah and, yeah, and they have, no, not only that, I think they have a moderation problem as well. Mm -hmm. Images right. and texts and things that are not good and shouldn't be there. Ah. Uh, uh, and this is sort of brings to mind one of the, one of the things at the beginning of the pandemic, where there were reports about. Uh, the moderation systems and algorithms breaking down at, at, at YouTube, Facebook, and Google because the people uh, working with, in, in, like in concert with the moderation moderation algorithms, they had to go home because of the pandemic, mm. and they were not really designed the algorithms to to work by their own. And what is moderation? Moderation, I would say, is to keep track of um, bad content on the platform. So moderator in Swedish. Yes. Yes. So moderator yeah. handle abuse basically yeah. in different ways. Mm. Awesome. Um, I think we should move to, to another topic as well. And uh, you started speaking a bit about, you know, the way we do education mm -hmm. today in universities. And then, you know, you do something when you start working. Mm. And uh, there is a, would you say that there is a disconnect today in that? Or? Well, it's, it's been some time since I had the opportunity to, to attend the university, <coughs> quite uh, two, two decades. Um, <laughs> but from what I understand, <laughs> from what I understand, there's a, there is a misalignment between what new students, junior people coming out of, of university believe they will be working with when they come to a company. Mm. Uh, and and well, it's, it's like every business thing. It's, it's a matter of, of, of managing expectations. Yeah. So in this sense, if you are trained as a data scientist and you, you have to parse XML or PDFs, for God's sake, <laughs> instead of doing cool modeling. You really hate PDFs. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, um, I, sometimes I read PDFs. It's a good, good mm. media for that. But still, so I, I mean, there's... Um, so people start coming out from university now and they are actually studying I, uh, machine learning. Mm. But the reality is that 90% well, of companies still works in Excel and Power BI yeah, or whatever. And I think this is not only a case for machine learning. I think it's a case for software engineering in general. Maybe things has gotten better in the past couple of 
years or 20 years or so. But when I started computer science, we did some things. And when I came, came to, to, to work for companies, uh, the process of working uh, was something that we hadn't touched upon, like project management or mm. working in, in agile environments and, mm. and doing things. And, and the definition of done again, it's the second time I mentioned it, but you know, knowing when you're done and move on and you know, realizing the value you have Mm. Um, and, and doing that on the scale. And I think th this might also go back to the fact that academics and academic research is concerned with things uh, with a certain point in time. They're not really concerned with doing this over and over uh, uh, for, for a you know, period of time, uh, be mm. it like, like developing or deploying a model for, for, for text classification uh, or, or doing software development. So there's a disconnect, I would say. Um, and I'm not sure who... Uh, should have the responsibility to make this alignment, or if it's even a problem, I'm not sure. Do you think AI education is different from other type of education, like normal software engineering education? Yes, maybe because it's, it's moving so fast. Mm -hmm. So it, it, I think it's the choice that uh, the people educating has to make is whether to do the fundamentals, which hasn't changed that much, uh, or do um, something about the state of the art. And also, I mean, I think AI, you know, one of the things we're, we're trying to promote a bit in the Swedish AI agenda and others is that we want AI understanding, which is different from being able to develop AI yes. and use yes. AI. So having an understanding is, is something, and I hope you mm. agree, yes. that we should try to bring into any kind of mm. sector, mm. right? It's expectation management again, mm. I would say. So how, how should that happen? Uh, and if we, if we think about education, we have universities and we have this kind of crammed, you know, educational programs mm. today where you spend two, three, five, ten years, and if you do mm. PhD or mm. whatnot, in, in learning something, and then you just jump into industry and, mm. and start working. And, and then it's a big disconnect, as you say. Yeah. What do you think the solution should be? Should it be that we... Continuous learning, I would say. I mean... Mm. I think the past year for not for, for something has, has been an evidently people have to change. There, you know, there is, you're never, there's going to be a new educational system where we have adult learning forever. Yes. I mean, I mean, look at, look at the, what, the retirement age mm. it's pushing, it's been pushing forward. Uh, is it 67 now or something? Yeah. Uh, and, and then, and then you start learn something when you're 20 and then you stop learning when you're 24 and then you, you work with it. But things are going to change. I mean, we, we touched upon um, ML, ML ops or, or, or AI ops and, and data ops and different kinds of, of titles for, for jobs that didn't exist four or five years ago. So people, I think the continuous or, or rather acknowledge that people have to, to be reskilled. Mm. Because that's that touching on the job market problem and the mm. whole transformation of mm. the job market. But before, I, I want to test another problem on the university. You know, what's the disconnect mm. between university and how it really works? So here we said, like, within your field, you, you think you're going to do ML and mm. you do Excel parsing. Mm. Okay, one, one, one example, yeah? I think there is another almost bigger problem is that in reality to make data and AI uh, work are like this, the real data driven systems that mm. is actually used and uh, augmented in, in core processes. It's quite clear this is a cross uh, disciplinary team mm. play. Yes. So you need to ha have a, an AI process 
or data science process work together with the data and you know MLOps engineering process working together with the data ops process mm. working together with the cloud architecture mm. of you know infra team tech side data governance i need to be able to use this data and then i move over to legal you mm. know commercialization mm. go to market mm. and by the way this is the business domain we're in mm. So in reality now, this is the cross-disciplinary team play from hell. <laughs> but in university, we still stick in our siloed mm. departments. Mm. And in a siloed world, learns what is world-class data science process, mm. which is good, mm. but it doesn't prepare you for doing data science as part of a, how do my artifacts fit into the use case life yeah. cycle exactly. uh, with all the other disciplines? And we don't even train that. I, I think um, sort of fact telling that this is a problem is that there's a market for educators. Right. You, me, this uh, is what I do as yes. a business. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you, you, yeah, I, I've taken lots of these courses myself for, for doing stuff. Uh, you know, do, how does this work? How's that, you know, and, and take some, some course and they make me feel really smart because I'm just touching the, scratching the surface and they, we should do it in two weeks, it says, and I do it in three days and I feel smart. But of course, that's the way of, they sell, they're selling things like this. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's, a, um, there's a market for it. There's a need for it. And and perhaps the perhaps it's fine like that. But then then again, I, I, but the university has not prepared you to work in a cross disciplinary no, setting no, enough. No, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but uh, actually, you turn it around. Could they actually do it? You know, have, have you heard about the AI Competence for Sweden kind of initiative that um, is being tried at least? Mm -hmm. I think so. Um, so I, I can just briefly say, you know, it's an initiative where we basically give funding for universities to target education to industry, not only to students. Mm. And I think that's a really good initiative. Yeah. And then you have to really change how you do education. You can't have like two-year programs mm. anymore. You have to have crash courses or yeah. very much different type of education. It has had its, its challenges, so to speak, in, in being able to, to transform the universities to do that. Um, but I think the intention is good. Mm. As yes. for GDPR, but I, I think but this can definitely <laughs> be done. I, I'm I'm I, I I'm from Borås, grew up in Borås, and Borås Högskola. This is in um, they, they made a name for themselves, and they were competing with uh, uh, Ekonomhandels Göteborg. This is in the nineties, mm. around the time when yeah. Borås Energi were around. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but Borås Högskola <laughs> really grew up and and is quite uh, good and, and big. Mm. But it's around two thousand, right? My, I have, so my, my, I have friends, like best friends who went to, they decided to go to Broseugskola. Why? Because they could have a combined bachelor mm. in economics and computer science. Oh. So, mm, so what happens if we start looking at the career, how you build a bachelor, mm. a master of marketing and data science, mm. you know? Mm. I think it's completely possible if you're innovative in how you want to define a curriculum, yeah. You know, it's not going to work if you are back in your academic silos and you, you know, but I think it can be done. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to be deciding, you know, in five years, how academic uh, or university education would look like, uh, do you have any, any the, the simple question, you know, to <laughs> end the whole topic? Um, well, the sim it. simple question, I would start by 
trying to find some metrics and measure things that mm. are not correct and then I will mm. you know iterate on it. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's a, a data driven approach. Data like it's a political a answer to uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's good. But maybe we need data driven approaches more in, uh, in, in yeah. university. Yeah. So we actually I, I have to mention Kill this. the dogma, right? We we did we did um we did a small project a couple of years ago, you know, Diva, the the, the big database with with uh, thesis work from most of the Swedish um, universities, not all of them. Um, I downloaded and scraped 55,000 PDFs, mind you, uh, <laughs> of, of the thesis. Is it legal to do that? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or at least I found a way through their API and I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to them about it. So they're cool. Mm -hmm. So I got this 55,000 PDFs. I extracted the text and the metadata and counted stuff. And it's, it's a 20 year period. Mm -hmm. So the initial idea, we didn't have the time to realize this, but the initial uh, idea was to to compare the course catalogs from mm -hmm. the different universities with what the people actually wrote about. Interesting. So you can see the connection there. And there's also a metadata field sometimes talking about whether it's a, it's a company that has sort of um, ordered this thesis work, commissioned the thesis work. So in, that, in, this, in this data set, you could actually see uh, by language, what, what are people from, from um, civil engineering at KTH actually doing in, mm -hmm. in you know, 2004? when they started in 1999, for instance. That's Super really interesting. Cool. So we have the data set. We haven't uh, been able to publish the, the paper yet, but there's- But you would there. expect that there is a disconnect between what they oh, do maybe. in thesis projects and what they yes. are actually educated yes. to, right? Yeah. Maybe. But I the data-driven so. approach to prove an, it's not a bad idea. I don't know how to do it, mm -hmm. but- more metrics. I, mean, I think we can learn so much from the tech companies that we do have. Yes, you know, yes. some A/B testing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> but I think again, coming back to data, the problem is data and getting the data and GDPR, as you mentioned. So let's go here now, yeah. please. Let's go here now. So GDPR, so, new topic. Really? Yeah. No, not, okay. not not not. <laughs> so we said, you said, I want to talk about data, NLP, ah, and data. Yes. And then bottom line, in a way, you have you said it a little bit like before we started. Like the the, the older I get, the more I. I care less about the fancy stuff and I care about data. Yes. Could you elaborate on that? Because data is what is actually making this tick. So if you, and it also, the things that could fail, fail projects, if you have ba bad data and high expectations. So if we were to yep. give a name for this topic, it would be something about data readiness or uh, data readiness, data readiness levels. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Good. So let's start okay. there. So, mm -hmm. uh, when we approach people to work with new peers, new clients, uh, we usually start off by talking about this mm -hmm. concept of data readiness levels, which, uh, professor Neil Lawrence coined, I think in 2017, there's a white paper. So uh, he essentially says that, and this is re really loosely uh, modeled on NASA's uh, technology readiness levels, the zero to nine right. thing. So technology. So is this a product? No, is this is something else. This is not a product. This is like a framework for talking to stakeholders about their data uh, maturity, you know, mm. if you will. So uh, there are three different bands, uh, band A, B, and C, uh, A is top. And if each band can have different kinds of levels in it, but let's start at the band level. Band C is where you start off. This is the accessibility thing. So is there data? I mean, you started band C. Can we Google this? Band C level four. Uh, yeah, we have actually written a white paper on, on, on um, data readiness for natural language processing. Uh, so you can Google it. There is um, uh, at band C, you start out with hearsay data. Some manager had, had, had heard something about there's data. We have lots of data. We can do this. AI can do it. It's cool, guys. 
So we need programmatic access to data. We need uh, we need it to be to be um, available uh, at the fingertips of the people working with it. We need it to be uh, lawful. Exactly. This is this is uh, Neil Lawrence's webpage. Neil Lawrence webpage. Um, DataReadiness.org. Yes. So, uh, but it's 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 a good way of talking to this uh, to people about it. But again, it's like expectation management. So before you can do anything, you have like this. you have to have data. It's Band C. It's it's the law thing that the, the you know have, you have to have you know work with GDPR and stuff like that. You have to have the, your licenses sorted. You have to have the data accessible. You have to have it converted or convertible. So you do that all in Band C. That's where we start. So the transition is from from hearsay data, uh, rumored data to actually completing Band C and even including PDFs. I see that exactly. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now speaking from an NLP perspective, but this is this is of course for any kind of data. Yeah. So th- this allows us to have a, com- a, a, a lingo yes. around: Do we have data for this problem? Exactly. And, and and yes, we have data. Yeah, but what band is it in really? Yes. Oh, it's only in band A. So okay, we need to do certain things to get yes. it to band C. So then we can also manage the. Oh, so ex- band band C is the top. The bottom yeah. yeah. Top. So, so it's only in band A. So now we can no, manage band, the ex- no, no. band A is best. The best. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So we're moving. No. To Towards band, band A, so we start out the band C. Okay. So once we cleared all these accessibility things, we go to band B, which is about uh, validity. So uh, could you now you got could I, you could I, you trust it, this data? Is it, is it is it true in a sense? Could you have you removed? Uh, what about null values? Have you removed duplicates? Or, or, or is the data contradictory and such? Do you think these things about you know doing this kind of pre-processing and data cleaning will be equally important in the future? Yes. Because it's so simple to do it, so yes, it's really yeah. I mean, if you if you got past band C, which you have to, I would say that that do you could do it quite cheaply, and 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 you will gain 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 something from it. But if you don't do it, it might you know be stopped. Wouldn't it be more you know generic if you simply make the model handle? Yeah, maybe, but I'm still still cleaning. But if you do it. Maybe, but the, the, I would the, love for it to be like that. Of course, I would like to just pour everything into exactly. one USB stick. Intuitively, this makes so much sense for me. Also, from a management of expectations point of yes. view, when you start off these projects, business always says, "How hard can it be?" Mm. You have the mm. data, mm. and you are always lacking a lingo mm. to explain what, how much shit, how dirty yes. it is. Right. Yes. So if you can, if you can work on that lingo, and you can even teach your mm. Business leaders, uh, this is band C stuff. So, we need to do this. So first. what we did, and I can come to that later on. What we did was actually to devise a couple of questions or six questions that we could ask people and and have them mm. reason about, and then they would sort of ah, okay, I know. Categorize their data. Yes. So band B is 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 not something we have worked with because it's we either never get there, <laughs> or the data is in such a good state that we could start off at band A. And band A is about the utility, and this is highly dependent on the use case. So, uh, so if da- data is band A for one task, it it might not necessarily be band A for a different task. So, and this is where the annotation, or, or let's even even the case that where, where you have experts working with this. Experts are usually really good at knowing if someone is something is relevant once they see the data. But so domain experts, yeah, domain sorry, domain experts, humans, mm-hmm. oracles. Uh, human oracles, not database oracles. Um, when they see something, they can say, well, this is relevant because, and this is not relevant. But by not showing examples, you, they can't really tell. So you have to, 
sort of elicit their information need in some way. This is at band A. Band A is also about annotating the data. So if you have to have training data or at least evaluation data, because as Anders said, you you need much fewer examples, fewer data points now to train something like a text classifier. Yeah, we're going into the self-supervised or yes. unsupervised. But still approaches. you need you need some data annotated to know how good it is. Yeah. So you could you, you can convince Active learning techniques. Yes. No? Yeah, uh, that's different. Act, different act, act, active learning is different. There we can come to that. That's yeah. two two modes to this as well. So this is usually what we talk about. And and we came up with six different questions that you could talk about with your because clients. This is the beautiful thing, right? Can we, can we break this down into a framework? Mm. Can we publish this open source? Mm. Can people start becoming more yes. data lit? As to become data literate, we need yes. to find a way to discuss it and explain yes. it and use it pra- yeah. pragmatically. So what I did was I actually, we, I wrote a, we wrote a, a white paper and I published that on GitHub so people could submit. Uh, you know the name of it if you were to Google it? Uh, I really like this. It's data readiness for natural language processing. Data, data readiness for NLP. Should be there, and this is on Git. Uh, GitHub. Yes. Uh, yes, the first one. Frederick O. Yes. Frederick, yes. Frederick O. That's, that's you, me. man. That's me. So there, there it is. So this is what we're working with, and and it's it's an uh, it's a, a appropriately vaguely defined framework, so you can actually. <laughs> I love the term appropriately vague. <laughs> I, mean, if it, I if, love it too. If, if it's if it's too rigid and people say, well, it, this doesn't apply to me, then they will sort of discard. Can you say the positive? It's it's appropriately generic. 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 Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, actually, okay, I okay. prefer Frederick. <laughs> I prefer his way. It's more, much more honest. So, so I mean, this is this is what we do when we start a new project. Uh, we usually do some sort of data readiness assessment. So you, mm. you have now, because what, what we're doing now is finding out what's the optimum way yeah. from ideation to production yes. of, a, of a pop. So this is the data side, but you also need to know what, what, what's your pain point. Mm. What is, what's the problem you're trying to solve? What will you achieve? Let's, you know, t- not talk about the technology so far, but talk about uh, the problem space. What, what's, what's, what's your business pain points? Exactly. And then we can talk about the data and we align them and see what kind of technologies are appropriate here. So now we can go nerdy on the stuff I, I work with. Because what I what I really truly believe in is this cross-disciplinary mm. way of working. And what I have found out is that we tend to, in the large organization, not think through what happens truly in the ideation phase, what happens truly in the feasibility phase. So we end up where, oh, the data governance part or the data access part was forgotten or the technology was forgotten. Or the, so, so if you evolve around the business value, the customer mm. value, and you, you go around te- technology choices or algorithm into deployment and how to build, mm. and then you go into data. So we've been working on this sort of idea on the framework of trying to, you know, we work agile, we work uh, agile scrum. That's not the point. The point is, can we at least agree upon what the different roles has in their, in their backlog mm. if we are in the ideation phase? Mm. And next on that, what are the common lingos and templates and methodologies? And what you can see is that if you can stabilize that, you can go move faster on each use mm. case. Mm. So this is what I'm working on. Yeah. I think it's completely fitting into yes. this is a one. So now we are going into the data perspective and what is our thinking in ideation phase around data? Mm. Or you should look at your band ABC. Mm. It's like a methodology that fits in the ideation phase. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, do you see what I mean? I'm like, yes. and this for me is a huge problem. 
and one of the this orchestration problem that we all understand what we should do. I think it's equally, or this is my main headache yeah. in the large corporation. And, and I think it's all about managing expectations and making sure that we are talking about the same things and agreeing on the definition of done. And that's the third time I've mentioned definition of done. Yeah, but yeah. And, and now definition of done. How do we talk about that when we have one guy is a service designer? Mm. One guy is a data scientist. One guy is a, is a business domain expert and doesn't know shit about data. So we, we kind of need to find a common lingo, right? Or how do you see that? How do you do definition of done when you have different competences in the same I, team? I, want, I once was at a conference. Um, it was more than 20 years ago. Uh, it was a human computer interaction comp- uh, conference, uh, Kai uh, in Seattle. On stage was this Sony guy. Uh, they had made some fancy small robot. And someone in the audience asked, well, how do you evaluate this? And the guy on stage said, well, we're shipping 200,000 units on Monday. That's the evaluation, how, it's, <laughs> how it sells. I mean, that's one way yeah, of measuring if, if things are actually successful. So, yeah. I mean, you have to, in some sense, make the bed for success, in a sense. So you have to have like a... a, a, a you can't measure everything. You have to some some at some point in time in, in process like this. That's that's a leap of faith, I, I would say. But yes. you have to have a stable ground for it. Cool. And uh, we're moving into the last fifteen minutes here, and I'd like to to move a bit into more philosophical kind of topics, if you may. And um, if we go to perhaps one of the more, yeah, let's take this one. Uh, okay, so. You you know very well what the singularity means, mm. and you know the movement to towards AGI and having AI that moves closer, which are you know we are very far away, of course, from human level of intelligence. Are you concerned that uh, the the movement and the work that you are doing, for example, is is moving towards AGI and the singularity? Is that something you think um, about? I have two thoughts on this. One is not a quote because I don't remember it word by word, but uh, there's a podcast called Data Skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kai Polish is the host. And he once said, worrying about the AGI is, is uh, or, you know, the uh, um, singularity is like the Wright brothers worrying about the Wi-Fi on future planes not working out. So uh, <laughs> that, that's one way of thinking of it. I think that the AGI and the singularity, I think we will have destroyed each other far before that by means like of bad, like by good. means of bad AI and, and, you know, um, recommendation algorithms that, you know, can, can I have so, to really, you know, so narrow AI can about, be much more dangerous yes, earlier. Yes. And just to speak about specifically, there was, was a report coming out actually, I think this week from US. And uh, they spoke about, you know, the problem of that U.S. has legal uh, restrictions on uh, if they can use AI for warfare. Mm. And uh, they were really concerned that they do have these kind of restrictions because other countries like China, etc., are not having them. And if they have these kind of restrictions, they will be far behind. And the AI arms race potentially is going to be, you know, won by some, someone else. Mm. What do you think about that? So I, I very much agree with what you said for one, that AGI is not the big problem. Mm. The big problem is narrow AI. Mm. But goes, when it's used rogue. but when it's used for narrow tasks mm. such as drones going out killing people mm. or whatnot, mm. which is something we can easily do today, that's the big problem, not the AGI problem potentially, mm. I would argue at least. Mm. Mm. 
So how how do we do that? Do you think this kind of report coming out in the US is is good? You know, or how, should we simply say that since others are doing it, we should do it as well? Or what's your view on mm, that? We, that pretty much yeah. goes for anything, and 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 you know that means that society is not stable. It it suffices that one people are doing is doing something that someone else wants as well, and then you know have to follow. Mm. follow suit or otherwise you will miss out so the fact that the report i haven't seen it but the fact the report is out there and people are talking about it it's good i mm. think mm. And they could have kept it a secret perhaps and or perhaps they do and just work on it anyways uh, i think everyone is working yeah. on it in secretly but but now there was but a public report france wasn't in france they were allowed now to use ai for this you know they they claim that they shouldn't i think yeah. in, in us at least in some states it's, it's okay to use drones mm. but not for lethal weapons mm. but for non lethal weapons it's apparently okay mm. i also think this is like a, a gliding scale i mean the drones they are using now for lethal you know weapons the the the, the piloted ones how mm. much ai is in there yeah and, and, but at and, some and, point know, it will yeah. be more ai based yeah. Yeah. autonomous yeah yeah um of course, I don't want AI. I know what AI can't and can do. So mm. I don't want that to, to make any decisions. And if we can't make self-driving cars safe, I don't think we should have self-driving cars with guns. I agree with. But you said you had two angles on the singularity. Yeah, but topic. the first one was the quote from, from Kyle Pollard in, uh, in a sense. So I think I think I wish we should think of it. I, and, and I think the debate has been much more nuanced the past year maybe than it was before yeah. with Max Tegmark and all um, and Nick Bolstrom and, and the other ones. Um, but I think we are we should not let that take our focus from where we are today and what we what, what kind of challenges we're facing as a society and i mean the future is always 10 years away right and but someone else said i forget it was kai or, or daniel who made a very good summary definition it's like let's worry about uh, the agi problem later and focus on how ai could support a sustainable yes. world now yes i agree with that I think that's pretty, pretty yeah, good. I mean, it's no question that AI can be of very positive use and beneficial mm. use, so to speak. But but don't you think we should start thinking about the potential ramifications if we use it for bad things as well? Yeah, well, but not but from an AGI, AGI perspective. No, ignore AGI for now. So from Just a narrow think, narrow AI perspective, yes. Ethical yes. AI, yes. Mm. But here and now, I think be here But and here now. and now, we can easily have an AI that disrupts the stock market mm. or can easily have yeah. a, an AI that, uh, you know, are used for, for drugs. Yes, we should definitely think about that. Uh, definitely. And, and I agree with that. So, yes, I, I don't think, I don't see a contradiction between that and the AGI and singularity. It's just different people thinking about it. Mm. I would say we, we are quite many people and it's, it's strange to sort of project our, my own inabilities to others. I mean, I might only be able to keep one thing in my head at the same time, but we are many people. We should be able to think about different things simultaneously. Um, and just to mention what Kai said, I think very well is that, of course, if you think in general what AI can do for our society, and if we look at this kind of report that came out with Anna that we had on the yes. show as well, Anna in Nature, mm. that said, you know, if we want to achieve the 2030 sustainability goals, mm. AI have uh, a significantly more positive impact than negative impact mm. in doing so. 
So it's no question that, I mean, AI is just a tool, it's a technology. Yes, yes. And just as you can't remove biology, you can't remove nuclear, you can't remove genetics, and you can't remove AI. Mm. It's something that will continue to evolve. Mm. It's just that we need to move it in the right direction yes, in some way. I right? agree. Yeah. Completely. Cool. Um, should we go for the divide kind of thing as well? I think we touched it so many times, but still, I think it's interesting to to just hear Fred's yeah, thoughts um, about that. Um, unless you have some other topic you'd like to. No, I, we, we we talked quite a bit about um, how we understand uh, the AI divide, and then we have on this show div- uh, um, framed it quite a bit around that we understand the world right now that there's actually a few tech giants mm. who really is leaps and bounds in maturity of mm. having industrialized, mm. operationalized AI mm. compared to the rest of the world. Mm. And we, we, we've been sort of exploring what that means from a societal perspective, both of how we can do it to fix it, but if it's a problem or not. Mm. Um, what's your views on this? Have you thought about? I don't think it's a problem. I think it's not, not everyone could be Usain Bolt. I mean, there's some athletes out there doing good things. It's the long tail of everyday uh, exercise people, you know, motionare, that makes makes a difference, perhaps. So, um, again, I don't think there's a contradiction between. I don't, maybe, perhaps not a divide. There's someone leading the way and showing what what's possible, and some people want to follow, and maybe not all should follow. Not maybe not all should be. Uh, Usain Bolt, and uh, but, but do you think there is a difference in how the tech giants, the, the big ones, yeah. you know, in US and China, are moving and using data and AI in a way that is accelerating uh, a lot, and the rest of the company are trying to keep up, but mm. are the speed, the, um, the derivatives, so mm. to speak, mm. of mm. how fast they're able to make money from it, for one, or simply build products that are really useful and good. Mm. Um, is accelerating faster for these few selected companies yes. compared to the rest of the world. Yes, I think so. I mean, they have uh, like a 20 year head start. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so le- I, I want to disagree with you a little bit here because I, I think I'm not, not, it's great that someone is Usain Bolt. That's not really the problem that someone is Usain Bolt. Uh, the problem is when you have two big inequalities in a society. Yes, yes. So basically, the, the real problem is that the tail now is too far away. And you're speaking about companies and their competencies with yes. respect to AI. Yes. In relation to the big ones. Yes. Yes. Exactly like that. And, and uh, why I sort of gone, even why I want to sit here and talk about this and, and spend every, every week on this is because I think it's a societal concern uh, to the point where. Uh, we will have disruption from if, you know, because they're, 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 when they're so far ahead on AI mm. and it's a general purpose type technology, stepwise, stepwise, they apply that fundamental platform and AI operationalization know-how. They have so much money so they can easily mm. buy themselves into a new domain. Mm. And then when they're in this domain, they, they are in, a, in such a position where basically the general purpose AI can simply be, you know, for mm. them easier mm. Uh, and 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 the past, my thinking has been going down the last couple of years has been like, from a societal point of view, you know, all this old job losses or all that, I think it will be looking very different if the normal Swedish companies is disrupting themselves, mm. reinventing mm. themselves, rather than it's, it's an outside force from 10 companies in the world. This is the concern I'm thinking yeah. about. Um, 
So I'm not saying they are they are not the problem. It's us not picking up the ball that is the real problem. So the delta, the difference, the, d- the delta, is the, the inequality. Yes. You have you have a riches and yes. you have a haves and have nots. Yes, and and I think I think that might be a problem. Uh, it depends on what hat I'm I'm wearing. If if it's from a scientific point of view, I want to see someone spearheading and and doing great cool stuff. Mm-hmm. If it's it's if it's from from uh, like a citizen's point of view, when I want everyone to have the same opportunity, it's it could be really bad. Uh, and and given that the the, um, the net worth of the biggest companies are like countries. in the range of countries, it's it's they are players in their own rights. Yeah. And you could see that, for instance, uh, Facebook and Australia yeah. and the media laws the last week. Uh, but you can also see it in the way that uh, the U.S., for instance, is trying to regulate uh, the big tech companies. Now there are different, lots of different, you know, attempts to 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 break curb. things up. Yeah, yeah, curb. yeah. Uh, and, and I, I just uh, one one of the things is that you know Google. Can, can you just mention? I think the, the Australian kind of fight against Facebook, etc., is very interesting. Can you just elaborate a bit more what that was? So what what I'm so f- as far as I understand, it's it's essentially that the Australian. Uh, government wants the big tech giants to pay taxes or to pay money if they link to news produced yeah. by other entities exactly. like news outlets. Yeah. And there's pros and there's cons. Um, and what did Facebook do? Though? Facebook said, no, we're not going to do it. And it sort of shut everything down on their own platform. Um, so they didn't even link to any no. Australian news sites anymore. And they exactly. lost like huge amount of traffic because yeah. of it, right? So, and, and then it took a f- couple of days and then the Australian government reverted this decision. <laughs> uh, so uh, there are different things at play here. And one thing that I'm really, really worried about is that if the primary or like quality, quotation marks, uh, quality now news outlets are gone, there will still be low quality or non-quality news outlets on Facebook, mm. which uh, people... Mm-hmm might not be aware of and they still get their news and their filter bubbles all over again. So yeah. this is not a good development. Um, it's a difficult situation. But let us try to end on, on a more positive note, I think. Yes. You know, and even if we have this kind of big tech giants and um, if we try to compare, for example, Sweden compared to US or other European countries or even China, um, I would argue, and I would like to hear what you think about this, is that even though we, we have you know tech giants, if you take the average company in US or the average company in China or the average company in Europe even and compare it to the average company in Sweden, I would argue that an average company in Sweden is rather well ahead um, compared to other continents when it comes to uh, data readiness, technology level, and ability to use AI. Mm compared to most others. Would you agree? I only have anecdotal evidence of this, a few yeah. data points. I was in a, in a call last week, no, this week, with a, a small company in the south of Sweden that manufactures steel things. Mm. And, and we were you know, working there with data and they talked about their, their business system and everything. And he said he kept excusing himself and saying that well we're not really good at this. And I, uh, the only thing I heard was that he had this tremendous machine where he inputted everything and they was like agile and working on the floor and doing this you know steel things. And so and from these kinds of stories I've heard this, I, w- I would agree with you and say that people think they're not you know adept because they see the flaws yeah. in their own processes, but they are quite good at what yeah. they're doing. And it's- 
I, I would certainly think so. And compared to a lot of other European and especially US and China companies, mm. I think we are actually on a rather good position in Sweden. But and then we have the tech giant. But that's a different. But but and as and as the last topic now, if you allow ourselves to run over one or two minutes, where, where do you think um, you know from the anecdotal or mm. the, the the cross section of companies and public sector uh, you meet and stuff like that? Where do you think they should put their focus and emphasis to take, you know, we, we say that we, we, we're not as bad as we think, but we have a long way forward. Where, where would the most bang for buck go if they invested in like this? I mean, like I, you hinted, mm-hmm. like k- k- care about your data is one example, yeah, right? Yeah, that's one example. But I would actually go a step further and say that you should do an inventory right now of your pain points in your business, in yeah. your processes. Mm. What's... Uh, Where do you spend the most time? Where Where's the most errors? Um, and then try to see, is there a data-driven approach to actually mitigate this in a way? Mm-hmm. And then go to data and then see what kind of technology. So really start thinking about lining up your core waste or problem areas yes. and see which ones of them can be translated into a data-driven exactly. approach. And not not really... You know, um, not really mapping out what people say they're working, how they're working, but actually looking at the ways, ways yeah. they are working. Re- getting then also your real metrics maybe yes. on some of these. Yes. This is one thing. I think we have too few hardcore sharp metrics uh, on some some of these topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, so you, uh, we, we need to be customer relevant. Yes. Uh, what's your metric? <laughs> well, I don't have one. <laughs> Okay. Low churn good, rate, but there's yeah. a good. Uh, I think that's a good, very good, simple advice. Inventory your problems, and that could be solved by data. Mm. Can more data driven. Frederick, what's next in your life, private, privately or professionally? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I keep working. I mean, for me, working is. There's a very blurred line between work and private life because I need to have a job that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It should be worthwhile thinking of it when I'm, you know, uh, going to bed or whatever, uh, or, or Saturday morning with the coffee. It, if if it's not that kind of job, it's not worth having in a sense. So I enjoy the team. I enjoy learning. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, people and learning are the most uh, most important things now. And and um, Rice, I think, is one of the best places to be right now for for me. And what do you want to learn next then, if I flip it? Uh, if I want to learn next is actually, well, I have some really hardcore tech things I want to learn. Uh, I want to multilingual know multilingual models. Yes, multilingual models. I hear someone whisper <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> something I want to know, but not learn, like French. I would, uh-huh. I would like to know French, but not learn French. Um, <laughs> uh, but then again, I would like to know more about, you know, in the real life, the real world, how the organizations work with data. How could we actually make this, you know, Make 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 it better for people. Yeah, mm. put it into operation. Yes, yes. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. Can I ask the last question, please? Who do you think is a good guest that you would like to invite? I knew this. Do I actually have a note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, there's a there, there's a lot of things going on in the city alone. I mean, in Stockholm alone. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bunch of companies I would like to know. Uh, more about and there's a bunch of people I would like to to hear. Mm. I'm not sure where to start. Mm. Do uh, the inventory, do the list. I love yeah, it. Top, top uh, three at least. Top, top three. three. Uh, okay, so Hedvig Shellström, KTH mm. yes. Silo AI. Of course. Yeah. I would like to hear about her work at KTH and how that marries into Silo Silo uh, AI. 
Uh, Therese Mannheimer, Grace Health. Um, I would like to know, I, I know because I have a former colleague that is working with them and he's working on NLP stuff, but the business as such. It's uh, interesting as well. Uh, female health. Mm -hmm. um, Ingrid of Sandberg, Validio. Mm -hmm. uh, Validio, what do they do again? Uh, it's data, data cleaning. Oh, data I don't know cleaning. much. I haven't really contacted them. I, I will contact them and ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Oscar Textrum, Sauna Labs. Sauna Labs. Sauna Labs. We, sp we spoke about uh, the thing about you know yeah. keep, keeping up to speed with, yeah, with yeah. what happens. Adult learning. Yes. Next level. Uh, also, perhaps uh, Maria Chidel on uh, from Adressia. 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 So mm. they're providing addresses for people who don't really have addresses. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, like if, if you have to have healthcare and you have to to direct someone to some people. Yeah. And they don't have an address. What do you do? Postal address, you mean? Yeah, postal address. So okay. th she's one of them I would like to hear. And then there's a bunch of companies. Or I actually have three of them here. Mm. Depict. Yeah, they're on the list. Yeah. They're on the list, yes. <laughs> good. Uh, Moduli. Yeah. 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 Good. Uh, Mavenoid. Mavenoid. I don't know. Uh, configuration things. I think they have really good use cases, and I, I, I know they're Is working. It's really based on Maven, then uh, XML. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mavenoid. Give uh, two regotan. Yes. Okay. Why did you choose the name Mavenoid? I have seen Maven. some some demos, and it's really impressive. Okay, cool, awesome. A lot of very interesting um, suggestions there. I love it. You, you uh, were well prepared for yes, that. I actually got the questions from others. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you killed it. <laughs> this, this one, no, I, no, I, but yeah. this was really, really good. And uh, we, we have some on the list, but we add some more here. So yeah. that's really good. Super cool. With that, Fredrik, it's been a true pleasure. I wish we had a longer time to speak about all the topics we didn't have time to, to mention. Um, but um, it's really awesome, uh, at least for me, to have a Yeah, to go nerdy, go NLP. Fellow, go fellow, fellow researcher NLP. in NLP and in AI, <laughs> that we can speak about yeah. things in kids a very... And, kids and candy stores, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Love it. Uh, Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank yeah, you very thank much you. for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.